We're here. We're live. I hope. Now, let me just tell you, we got to like 30 seconds on that countdown, and I was like, I need to go get a drink. And so I booked it. I ran all the way downstairs, hit the kitchen, grabbed a drink, and ran all the way back. And then I was like, wait, we still have like a whole nother 30 seconds because of the actual intro. I'm like, I'm hot over here. Anyways, welcome everyone to the Casa Advocacy Update live stream, live podcast, show, internet thing. We're here. We're doing it. I'm a little out of breath, but I'm good. All right. This is uh this is awesome. We're here. It looks like everything is uh in order. I hope that we sound okay. I do have a fan on. Is that bad? Can you guys hear that? I, I can't hear it. I have my air conditioner on, so I think Okay. Awesome. I know fans, AC, sometimes you get that hum and it's kind of annoying, but it's hot up here. It's summertime. I wouldn't be able to hear it because mine's going, so that's all I can hear. Okay, so maybe we're all just drowning out each other's hum and we just have like <laughs> one beautiful hum to this. Yeah. Everyone sounds great. Ern says awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. We sound great. All right. Alex, this we're just gonna we're just gonna skip around the room really quick. Alex, how are you? How have you been this last week? How's your weekend going? It's been a crazy week. Um, first of all, I, I, I just wanted to wish everyone uh, a happy Juneteenth. Um, this is a, a new holiday that I, I guess was sort of celebrated yesterday a little bit and will be a federal holiday going forward. Um, I This is one of two things I learned about in the past year. Uh, one, of course, was Juneteenth, and the other one was the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, which I learned about through a, a TV show adapted from a comic book, um, which was sort of amazing. So um, it, it's uh, I, uh, this is one of those one of those moments where I, I get that sort of renewed hope for America and and people in general. Um, and so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, by the time we get done with this whole podcast, I might have a completely different view. But um, at least walking into this. Uh, I feel hopeful and happy, and today is a, a pretty nice day out there. So, well, we're gonna try not to rip your hopes away from you today, and uh, and keep them high. Kristen, hey, how are you? How's your week been? Hi, um, pretty crazy actually. We've been trying to get bids for putting a fence up around our backyard, and uh, holy cow, the prices. Way more than I expected. <laughs> As somebody who builds fences and does landscape for a living, <clears throat> I would love to help you, but... <laughs> You're a little far away. <laughs> I'm a little far away. So if cost is already an issue, having me come all the way out there to do it is definitely going to be an issue. Yeah, we might have, to scale it, might have to scale it down a bit from what we originally thought we were going to do. But uh, yeah, it spent the uh, last, well, the beginning of the week was pretty much just myself, my daughter, and my one dog, because my husband took a uh, hiking trip out with our two younger dogs, which didn't go so well. There was lots of rain and lots of ticks and lots of Ooh. mosquitoes. It did not sound fun, but Sounds he was like happy. great outdoors. <laughs> right? It really was. Um, but yeah, it was really quiet around here, and uh, I could get a lot of work done, so that was good. But yeah. Uh, yeah, getting used to having the kid home for summer and um, just getting ready for things like vacations and yeah. enjoying the weather and no more trees are falling lately. So that's good. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I wouldn't say it's been crazy here. It's been, uh, I don't know, it's just been kind of a week. Um, 
next week, you know, the kids, at least here, my kids, uh, Wednesday, I think is the last day of school. So we're getting ready for summer vacation and having the kids home. And it's just been, it's just been a week. Like I'm, I'm ready for vacation, vacation. I'm ready to go camping. I'm ready to go out to the lakes. I'm ready to go canoeing, kayaking, and spend time out on the water. That's what I'm ready to do. That's what I'm excited for. We're almost there. We're so close. So close. Anyways, I hope that everybody else uh, is doing well this week. Thank you to everybody who is tuned in. Uh, and thank you to anybody out there catching the replay right now. You are awesome. This is the part of the show, though, where we get to hand the entire floor, the whole floor itself, pick up the floor and hand it to Alex for the legislative rundown. What do you got for us this week? Well, um, real quickly, we've got some sort of uh, continuing uh, stuff here. Nothing terribly new, um, but uh, we'll go back to uh, Missouri real quick here. Uh, Kansas City, Missouri, we've been talking about this flavor ban for several weeks, um, and this is still alive. Um, so uh, the, the last update was, of course, on, I think, Monday. Um, and uh, there was a hearing on Wednesday. And the result of that hearing is we expect, I think they're still sort of tinkering with the language a little bit. And we expect this to come back in maybe two weeks. So just as kind of a ballpark estimate here, uh, June 30th, we could see this come back for a hearing. I don't, I didn't check to see if this was on an agenda. Sometimes agendas don't come out until maybe a few days before a meeting. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of the status. It's still in, I believe it's still in committee and they're still working out some of the language. So if you live in Kansas City, Missouri, um, please take advantage of the very easy to use form that we put together, customize it, include your story. Lawmakers need to hear your testimonials about using these products and, and how a flavor ban will negatively impact you. Um, the next thing to bring up uh, will be Maine. Um, let's get to the, the nice state of Maine here. Um, this is LD1550, again, another flavor ban that we've been talking about for several weeks now, but this is not dead by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the, uh, the last update that we have, of course, was from January, February, March, April, May. I have to get, I have to, I have to count months on my fingers because I get May and March mixed up. All it's the, the M's. It's, it's the M's. It's yeah. the M's. Um, so the last update we have was that it came back from committee with a divided report, which just means there's some people that agree and some people that don't. A majority of the committee agreed with with moving the bill forward, um, and uh, the the. Uh, the word on the street is that this is still something that could be included in the state's budget bill. Uh, and uh, everybody's coming back to start hashing out the budget in July. So first, second week in July, um, it's, it's possible we see some movement on this. Uh, hopefully they are taking into consideration all of the communications they're getting from people in Maine uh, and, and all of the, I think we've seen several op-eds written about um, flavor bans uh, not just in Maine, but uh, a couple of good ones came out about Maine in particular and, and discouraging the legislature from, from passing this. So LD 1550 is still alive. Um, 
And if you live in Maine, again, please take advantage of this very convenient contact form that we put together. You don't have to send what we wrote, but we put some care into it to make sure that the right points get to lawmakers. Uh, but definitely include your story briefly. Take a paragraph to explain how you switched, why vapor products are important to you, and what a flavor ban will mean. I know I sound like a broken record, but I, I, I know we need to kind of remind folks of that a lot. Um, the next thing I wanted to bring up, and, and I will come back to this actually when we get into our, our new segment. Um, but uh, let's see, I got this here. Uh, in Connecticut, um, there was a uh, defeat of the flavor ban bill, the flavor ban legislation that was going to be in, ultimately included in the state's budget. Um, so that's good news for Connecticut, but not out of the woods yet because next year is going to come around faster than you think. And so we will likely see this come back in January. Um, but for now, it uh, appears that a flavor ban is off the table in Connecticut, at least for the next six or seven months. Um, and then finally, uh, Los Angeles. I don't, I don't have a visual aid to bring up for this because our our, our call to action for this was part of our, our old website. Um, and so when we redid this last year, because of lockdowns, COVID-19 and everything, uh, the LA City Hall, I think, was probably one of those places that was closed to, to the public. And of course, municipalities and states have had to, were, were dealing with COVID-19 and, and it is in California. So um, there was really no movement on this throughout all of 2020. Uh, and then just within the past couple of months, things have started happening again. And where they're at uh, with this flavor ban bill is um, they are, they haven't even written the ordinance yet, which is not that hard. You really just have to, you know, copy and paste the language that Change Lab Solutions gives you, and then you can you can make your own ordinance too. Um, but the LA City Council is grappling with exempting hookah products and, and hookah lounges. Uh, as far as I know, they're still they're sort of grappling over whether or not uh, they will allow flavors for sale for on-site consumption only. Um, and, uh, and kudos to the, the hookah people. We saw the, the hookah folks show up in Albany, Albany County in here in New York, uh, some very passionate advocates, uh, and, and they really brought a lot of energy to the conversation. And, and I, I was grateful to see them show up, um, and it's very much a, a grassroots movement, just like with, with vaping and other smoke free alternatives. Um, but as, as far as, uh, anyone has, has, has told me, uh, it, it, you know, there hasn't been a lot of engagement from the vapor industry in, in Los Angeles outside of a few of the bigger names. Uh, and I, I, I don't really know. I can't go back and look at our engagement because we've completely changed platforms. So I don't have a good read on how many people participated in sending messages to the L.A. City Council. Um, but, you know, through 2019 and now recently, uh, we haven't seen a lot of engagement from from vapors. Uh, and, and, and not any independent shops, as far as I know, um, which has is, is been historically kind of a problem in California. Um, it's not exclusive to California. It just, it's, it's one of those things where there's sort of that cosmic irony of most of the industry was located in California. I don't know if it's still true, but uh, you know, the lion's share of, of the, the U.S. vapor industry was located in California, is located in California, and yet engagement from these businesses is, is very low, um, and, and I think generally speaking, 
I, I just have this theory that, that the people in California are just kind of jaded by all of this because, well, you know, it's California and you just never know what the next crusade is going to be. Um, and so I think people feel somewhat excluded from the process. Um, but, you know, be on the lookout for, for CASA to kind of re-up our engagement on this. There is still time uh, to uh, make contact with, with your city council members. Um, as I said, the, the ordinance isn't even written yet. Um, so, uh, but it, 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 you know, depending on who you ask, the, the period for engagement may be kind of over, um, but that doesn't mean that we just give up. So um, uh, look for a, a call to action for Los Angeles coming out Monday or Tuesday, um, and hopefully we can drive some messages that way. Um, that is the end of the legislative update. Oh, for this. What about, um, you wanna talk a little bit about DC? I did not put it in the blog, but I'm pretty sure DC's not over. People seem to have this impression that it's a done deal. Well, um, I thanks for putting me on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> no, as far as I know, well, as far as I know, is that it still has to go through um, the council for one more vote, and the mayor still needs to sign it. And it, it, I just thought about it because you talked about the hookah thing, and I think they're having the same issue there with the hookah thing. Yeah, and, and the, the hookah, hookah is going to be an issue going forward because it is, a, you know, a cultural thing, um, which I just wish that there was a way to kind of make that. I mean, I'm sure that there is a way, uh, but it's a bit of a stretch, I think, for, you know, just the rest of the tobacco space. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll certainly see the hookah thing come up time and again, especially in the more progressive cities and states. Um, but uh, I... I, I don't have the details on DC. Uh, unfortunately, we have something like 20 people signed up to get emails in DC. And I have uh, sent alerts out for past issues. And we usually get one person who might respond to that. So um, it, it's, it's a little sad. And um, DC does tend to rubber stamp things like this. So um, yeah, I, I, I will have to come back to you with more information on that. Uh, and and uh, certainly we we may put something out about it, but like I said, it's it's one of those things where if we don't have any members in the area, um, yeah. it, it's very hard to get people motivated to to show up at these things. <clears throat> um, I assume I think the hearing has sort of passed, and I know some people were struggling with actually getting written testimony in. Um, so it, it's uh, yeah, it's complicated, and I will come back to you with more information. I, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that it, it, some people were thinking that it was over. It is in our blog. Actually, it is in our blog post. I just posted the link. I was thinking that was last week, but it actually was this week. So I just posted the link. And it does say in the article that it still has steps to go through. I mean, if you're in what, Virginia and Maryland? Aren't those the two? I would think you'd care about this, too, not just the people who actually live in D.C. So, you know, well, people work in D.C. but live in those places, you know? Sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah. Last time I was in D.C. Uh, for the the last rally that we had, I stayed at a friend's house in Maryland. We just took the yeah. we just commuted right in, you know, so I'm sure I'm sure countless people that work in D.C. live in, in Maryland or Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. The D.C. Metro connects Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, northern Virginia and, and, and Maryland. Um, it's easy to get around between those two states. Um, yeah. You know, I, well, I was going to make a I just took up all this time to make a joke about whole, you know, the only people from Virginia and Maryland who really care about DC's tobacco laws are the folks who are going to end up selling a lot of cigarettes and paper products on the underground market. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, 
So yeah, okay. so with that with that addendum, hopefully more people than that care. <laughs> yeah. Right. So with, with that addendum and including DC, um, we we are now officially finished with the legislative rundown. Sorry. Sorry. Well, hopefully, <laughs> maybe next week or as soon as we can, we can kind of get some more clarification on on what has happened or what is happening uh, in DC, and yeah. we can just revisit that one. Yeah. Hopefully next week, we'll try to we'll, we'll try to circle back to it. But this is kind of uh, a new segment of, of, of the show where we, uh, we'll, we'll show you, we'll show you. I hope you guys are ready for this. You guys ready for some take threes? All right. Take three. So we attempted this last week and I think we did a really good job, but we're going to do even better. So uh, Alex, <laughs> Alex, what is your take this week? So uh, my take, uh, as I mentioned, uh, was Connecticut, uh, and um, the the article that I that I posted up here um, ends with a quote from Matt Myers. So for those of you who don't know the drama here, um, uh, the the this the, the language that ended up kind of almost getting included in the state's budget bill that that was the flavor ban ultimately was changed to sort of defer to the FDA, which is, I mean, barring the issues with PMTA and, and all of the other things, that right now is, is sort of the preferred outcome here because FDA has this, this process. And if you got your application for all the products that were on the market prior to August 8th, 2016, if you got your application in by September 9th of 2020, Yes, you, last you, year. Yep. Your, your company is allowed to continue selling your product if the FDA accepts your application for substantive review. And it's for this one year time period. So it's from September 9th, 2020 to September 9th, 2021, um, which is, again, it's a little bit of a change from what I was expecting from this one year grace period. Um, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I understand it, if you are introducing a new tobacco product to the market, from the date that FDA accepts your application for substantive review, you have one year while they continue that review to continue marketing your product. And then we see whether the FDA approves or denies your, or moves forward with the PMTA. Uh, and, and of course they have their discretion in terms of enforcement. Um, so this is, I mean, it's not the best thing in the world, but it is preferable to just ripping everything off the shelf. And so this language in Connecticut included that. And it said, if you have this, this, you know, a letter, it's something as simple as a letter from FDA saying, we've accepted your application for substantive review. You can keep your products on the market in Connecticut for, for the year. Um, and, and this is, you know, New York came close. We've discussed this a few times here. New York came close by uh, allowing uh, companies that get all the way through PMTA to then sell flavors in New York. Um, but Connecticut and, and I hope other places have seen sort of an updated, more appropriate language, which does defer to FDA's sort of provisional authorization, right? Um, and just so everyone, just so that we're all clear and on the same page, this is from the Tobacco Control Act. This is, this is part of the mandate given to FDA to regulate all tobacco products. It is written in the law and people like Matt Myers have been advocating, they, they advocated, in, they, they 
lobbied in support of the Tobacco Control Act, and they have in 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 ways claimed credit for how how well this act is put together. And I was at um, e-cigarette summit in 2017, and Matt Myers was a, a speaker and a panelist. Uh, and I I, I, I I think I have probably remembered this wrong, but I remember some sort of back and forth where uh, Matt Myers almost in a way claimed credit for including this modified risk tobacco product language. And this is what he, uh, this is the quote that I have highlighted here. Um, uh, actually, wait, let me. So uh, the, the, the actual thing I wanted to, to put here was opponents of the measure said it had too many loopholes such as an exemption for any product that the government determines to be a modified risk tobacco product. I just want to make it abundantly clear to everyone, this is not a loophole. This is a feature of the law. And it, it, it recognizes that, that you know, Congress, in, in, in its, its sometimes wisdom, noted that you know, in the future, tobacco products may exist that are not all that harmful. And so we need to have that pathway available. And of course, acknowledging that these products may also help people transition away from combustion. Um, not that they specifically wrote that in the law, but that is one of the important features of allowing new, new and appropriate for the protection of public health type products on the market. But now, now that the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and all of the body parts groups aren't maybe sometimes getting their way in terms of total prohibition or banning flavors, now they're referring to the law that they fought so hard to enact. Uh, now they're referring to it as weak and full of loopholes. Well, you guys were at the table when you wrote this thing. And not only that, but just a few years ago, and I'm going to share a video because um, I don't need to read his quote. But um, let's 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 see if I can. I think I did this properly. Hold on, I'm going to do this with the. Uh, did you click the audio button? Yeah, that's that's what I'm 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 looking <laughs> to make sure here. Well, let's let's give it a test. Can you hear this? Oh wait, I got to bump up the volume. Pump it up. Thank you. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, Can you hear that? Rather than yeah. the complex, um, I have two things I want to say um, pretty quickly. Uh, in my talk today, I do not intend to address the issue of whether I think e-cigarettes are a good thing or a bad thing, or to debate this, the level of scientific evidence with regard to them. Um, Can second, you pause real quick? Um, it is fairly quiet. Point. Yeah, I don't know how to make that it better. It started out kind of loud, and then it... I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's just me. I hope everybody can hear it. But it, it feels quiet. It sounds quiet. It doesn't feel quiet. It sounds quiet. Okay. That's the I right probably, sensory input, right? Sound, yeah. not feel. I, I probably should have included a trigger warning here, but we'll we'll muscle through it and see if. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, an underlying premise of my entire talk is that I happen to believe that responsible harm reduction is an absolutely essential and critical to the battle um, to reduce the death and disease of tobacco use as we move forward. Okay, so that quote was Matt Myers talking about, uh, in, 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 and I'm just gonna go ahead and read the rest of it here because I, I am seeing people talking about it being too quiet in chat. So um, that was, of course, Matt Myers acknowledging 
the, the vital role that harm reduction can play in reducing the early death and disease um, attributed to smoking. He goes on to say, since we are talking about his confidence in the Tobacco Control Act, that uh, to quote Matt Myers, I believe that the legislation that gives the FDA jurisdiction over all tobacco products that has now been extended to, uh, in brackets, e-cigarettes, um, not only includes the flexibility, but includes provisions that are most progressive, far-reaching, and thoughtful designed to deal with exactly these kinds of issues going forward with regard to that. So it's something I, <laughs> anyway, uh, and all of that, of course, is about reducing early death and disease from smoking. So it, it, it's, it's, it, it, this is just another one of those things that I know people have, it, the, the word hypocrisy has been dropped in chat already. Um, you know, this is, again, one of those instances where um, now that they aren't getting their way, they're changing the rules in the middle of the game. Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, 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 if you're ever playing a game with a kid or you remember when you were a kid and you would make up games on, on the playground and, you know, uh, all of a sudden you see that the other person is starting to get a little bit of an advantage and you're like, oh, no, no, wait a second. There's a rule about this. Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the, it, it's, it, it's childish. It is absolutely childish what's happening. And the concern here is that this is going to be part of their, you know, anti-vaping narrative going forward. And it, it is ultimately sort of irritated some of the lawmakers in Connecticut. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't know that, I don't know how to make this a much bigger deal. Like this is one of those cases where we've sort of caught them in a lie, right? Just a few years ago, you said that this was all peachy. This was great. And you support all of this stuff. In particular, the, the word here is flexibility, which to me is FDA's enforcement discretion. These are all very important things, especially when we're dealing with very, you know, complex products and a, and a very, you know, nuanced issue that that really does require a lot of in-depth research and, and, and a lot of honest science. Um, so, yeah, my my deep my take, my take on this, not my deep dive, my take on this is uh, this is a disturbing part of the narrative going forward. And I think we all need to be on the lookout for this. And I, I don't know how much sort of preemptive work we can do here uh, in just sort of reminding lawmakers that, um, you know, these folks, people like Matt Myers have been very supportive of the Tobacco Control Act. And of course, now all of a sudden they're calling it into question and referring to these things that they lobbied for as loopholes and just things that tobacco companies are going to take advantage of. It's completely disingenuous. Uh, at the end of the day, it is kind of a lie. Um, there's another part to this. And since the video thing and the volume isn't working all that well, I won't show it. Um, but uh, at that same conference, after this talk, Matt Myers ends up on a panel and the first question actually came from Jim Solace, a Swedish match, asking uh, the panel why these you know, people in public health, who, of course, were so supportive of this process, didn't publicize the fact that Swedish match made it all the way through PMTA. And this was just for their PMTA application. It was still a couple of years before they got the, the modified risk authorization. Um, and one of the things that I've emphasized to FDA when, when I've participated in TIPSAC hearings uh, is that the FDA needs to do more to, I, I don't want to say publicize, but uh, 
it is kind of publicizing. Make it known to the public that these new products are available and they have been sort of judged to be appropriate for the protection of public health. They're newer, they're safer, um, and that, that the FDA needs to do more in the way of, of driving that point home. I'm stopping short of saying publicizing because I don't expect any government agency to do publicity for any particular company. Um, as as we're not necessarily going to do, it's enough to to sort of report the fact that a particular company gets through this process. Um, and, and generally speaking, we do I, I think just you know drive the point home again and again. Snus is a very low risk tobacco product, uh, and it is, is absolutely a, a viable and safer alternative to, to smoking. Um, but that uh, the agency needs to do more, and if certainly groups like Campaign for Tobacco for Kids need to do more. Uh, I didn't bring up the link with the quote from their press release in 2017, but Campaign for Tobacco for Kids again put out a press release praising the PMTA process and noting that Swedish match did get across the line. They expressed concern about these products being available in flavors other than tobacco, but they didn't talk about it with the same, you know, vim and vigor, uh, referring to it as a loophole. It's not a loophole. MRTP is part of the process and all companies mm-hmm. should be able to do it, especially for safer product. Consumers deserve to, to know the truth. And I think that ends my take. <laughs> that's a great take. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great take. I, I, I agree. I think just period communication from FDA to the public about their findings, about that process, about these products, maybe not specifically you know, in a way that's promoting a specific product or a company or something like that, whether it's promoting categories or whatever it is, communication from FDA to the public needs to improve. Yeah. And it needs to be more than just kind of a, a stale announcement hidden somewhere on their website. Right. Right. Yeah. They need to shoot it, you know, shout it from the rooftops. Hey, this is what we found America, you know, yeah. Absolutely. Now there was one question in about early, the early part of your what you said about the uh, the one year. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, Char oh, noted I should read that. as long as you that. don't get a negative action from FDA. Um, yes, and and uh, I I try to sum that up really quickly when I talk about it by saying a, a, a provisional authorization. But yeah, I think it is important to note that um, you know if you get caught selling to kids or if you're if they kind of figure out that like whatever your branding is, is, is uh, maybe a little too uh, tailored to the younger demographic, um, stuff like that, or, you know, violating any of the state or federal laws, FDA can ding you for that. And that will go against your, your application. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it, it just blows my mind. They just keep bringing this loophole thing. They love to just call things loopholes, yeah. like with the with the uh, puff bars it's like those those aren't a loophole they they're they're already banned and you know there's nothing not banning them it's like what part to make this thing that's illegal more illegal yeah Yeah, they love to do that protect someone all right (laughs) moving forward excellent take alex thank you uh kristen what's your take this week all right well my take this week is um this this came up and, you know, it's it, some people may think it doesn't have anything to do with the U.S., but it really does. Because if you the story was, was that these high taxes and the high cost cost of of tobacco and cigarettes 
um, are actually causing a lot of problems in people who are already at or below the poverty level, but they're actually taking the little bits left from already smoked cigarettes and re-rolling it into uh, cigarette papers, which I, get, I don't know if, I don't know how much has been studied, but I think at least the theory is, is that people are, that once you've drawn that smoke through it with all the smoke constituents, is that the right word? Um, that you're actually adding more bad stuff to the smoke that's left or to the tobacco that's left. You've like sort of smoked the tobacco, I guess, in a way, you know, like you would smoke a roast. Um, and so that's making it even more dangerous when they're reusing this tobacco that's from the very end of the cigarette. And I thought it was really interesting because one of the things I talked about here was that the, that a lot of it was based on a New Jersey, um, a New Jersey study where they looked into them relighting that people who smoke relighting their cigarettes and they'll put them out halfway through because they want to save it. They don't want to throw away, you know, smoke two puffs and throw away the cigarette. That's expensive, you know, so they won't do that. And I did find the actual, the actual study, uh, what actually is an article back in 2013 where they talked about it and they talked about, you know, in, in when it's the difficult times and that they're smoking, um, they may not be smoke. They may smoke less cigarettes, but they're sort of splitting their cigarettes up and re-smoking stuff, and then making stuff from from smoked cigarettes and cigarette butts. And uh, that may not necessarily be. It may get some people to stop smoking, but the ones who still keep smoking are at even greater risk than they were before because of it. So it's almost not. It's almost a nil score for the whether or not public health is actually helped from this and um that got me to a couple other things i did find this one article on uh pulmonary advisor that talked because you know you wonder it's like well have they looked into this have they looked into these tobacco taxes and if you look at uh and actually where's the one that i wanted here's a study and this one was the one that came up and they're actually promoting it and they're saying um and i believe this is a lot of it was, um, but they're talking about, if you look at the part that I highlighted, that tobacco use in poor households exacerbates poverty. Tobacco use increases healthcare costs, reduces income, decreases productivity. At the same time, spending on tobacco products diverts limited family resources from spending on basic needs like food and shelter, not to mention healthcare and education. And yet they, they, they acknowledge this right here. And then they go and say, we should just make them more expensive so they stop smoking. But they know that that's not what's going to happen for a huge number of people because there's what they call um, price inelasticity, which is talked about here where um, it says that cigarette sales are what economists refer to, and this is in the second paragraph here, uh, as price inelastic, which means that when the price goes up, demand does not change much. Uh, cigarettes are nicotine delivery devices, carefully engineered to be addictive. Um, basically, a lot of people will pay whatever it takes to get their fix. So when tobacco taxes go up a dollar, most smokers do not change their habits at all, although a few, about 1.4%, quit entirely. Um, although that may be not enough to get tobacco companies to tap out. Every little bit helps. And they still go on to say, well, let's do this. What the, but then you come down here and it says, you know, where, where is, what, what else have, where, let's see if I can find it here. Sorry to scroll and give you guys, um, down here, it talks about 
how when here it is when cigarette taxes go up ah, when cigarette taxes go up people sign up in droves for snap which is supplemental nutrition assistance program so you've got you don't have people quitting you have people now going on food assistance you know i mean that's 10 times as likely uh there was there was i forget where it's where it showed but you know and then i also they, they looked at they looked at turkey and how they it, that same one that i was talking about here down here they talk about going about how if they were, would just raise the price of cigarettes in turkey where it's like they just went up from like 26 percent smoke to like 30 something and mm -hmm. um Here's what would happen, they say, if for the poorest people, they would change their consumption by 35%, um, and it would reduce the, it would reduce the burden of tobacco on poor people because they're going to all quit and not spend their money on cigarettes. This is somehow they, what they say in their heads. And then when you go to here, look what's happening in Turkey. This article is from, nope, wrong one, sorry. Oh, of course, this can't be reached. Come on, there you go. Turkey fights illegal tobacco, seizes over 416 tons in 2020. You know, no one it, saw that coming. Right. I mean, that's and that's what's going on. And it, it, where did it, it jumped? It was crazy amount where it went from like a you know, total amount of tobacco seized by authorities in 2020 increased by 350 percent. You know, they actually just reduced their taxes a little bit. I don't know if that, you know, so this whole this whole idea that. Let's, they're already poor. They're already hurting. They're, they're completely ignoring the people who are, um, they're only focusing on the people who are quitting and saying they're, the success is based on those who actually quit because of taxes and completely ignores the effect of those who don't quit. And there's really no, and they, they always jump on these things that if they would, that these, that the taxes Smoking always goes down when the taxes go up. But the thing is, is that it's not in a vacuum. These taxes are never in a vacuum. They're followed by tons of, or they're in conjunction with tons of smoking's bad for you, all this evidence and education and all these things. And, and a lot of things that I've read that have said that the, the biggest impact on smoking was the Surgeon General coming out and saying, yes, it is bad for you when the cigarette company is pretty much having to admit it. That had the greatest impact ever, besides vaping. <laughs> that had a huge impact. It was education. It was knowing the difference. It was making that decision. It wasn't, it was the carrot of health rather than the stick of taxes and bans and, and all those things. And, you know, if you look at... Um, Ah, where am I? I'm trying to. Um, Reason Magazine had done. Come on. Um, uh, way to help the poor. Uh, yep, they're very regressive. Uh, plus, it, it, it impacts poor people more than it impacts rich people. And rich people tend to be lower in the smoking rate range anyhow and so and here it even says nearly a third of people below the poverty line smoke only 18 percent of those at or above poverty. now this is a little bit of an older article and um they basically go on to talk about how uh in california what it's done and the and uh that they try to give credit to the um the taxes and then they take all that tax because california's got one of the highest taxes and they take that tax and 
it doesn't go to helping smokers. It goes to pet projects and things like that. And so who is, who's actually really getting helped? Rich people's pet projects of whatever it is that they want to have. Um, and the thing is, is that in New Zealand, they have, I think they said the second highest tobacco is their country's tobacco prices are second only to Australia's. And, um, and this is where a lot of this recent using cigarettes and, and New Zealand's been a little bit better with doing with embracing vaping than Australia has, but they still have their the detractors there. Um, this one was the one that I came across that really this is from 1999, which I found was really interesting because this is pre vapor products. And they they talked about the whole inelastic price thing. And people know this. This is a well-known economic phenomenon. So when they act surprised that there's a black market or that, you know, people aren't actually quitting smoking, they're full of baloney. Um, because it's like it says, because smoking is a habit that's so hard to kick, kick, demand for cigarettes is highly inelastic, meaning that large price changes induce only small changes in the quantity demanded. Uh, Let's see, large, oh, that, okay, social factors and education are often significant determinants of which people start smoking, but for those who do smoke, the number of cigarettes smoked is not highly sensitive to price. When tax, when a tax is imposed or increased, its burden falls on those consumers or producers who cannot move to a substitute product to avoid the tax. For consumers, that means there's no substitute product that becomes more attractive relative to the newly taxed product that can be consumed instead. For producers, it means that resources used in producing the product cannot easily be deployed to the production of something else. And that brings to mind, you, you hear a lot of, and it was just, I think I just tweeted about this, and I forget where it was, where all these city councils and stuff say, well, they can just, uh, they can just go, you know, if, if they can't sell the vapes and their sales go down, they can just go back to selling cigarettes. Just completely lacking the understanding that these vape shops that are complaining the most, these are not... Uh, corner gas stations or mom and pop shops that sell cigarettes and tobacco vapes. These are people who quit smoking through vaping that started a business and don't sell any tobacco industry products. The products they sell are also people who quit smoking and started vaping and started creating and making those products. And that's what they sell. They don't have something to fall back on as, as an alternative. And, um, I think that's something that we need to start kind of, you know, my take on that is we need to really start pushing on that back on that where they're they're coming up with this. Well, they can just there's no exclusive vape shop that I know of who would ever start selling cigarettes because they can't sell vapor products anymore. They'd rather just shut their doors. So they need to understand that. But talking about the substitute, because now we do have a substitute, which is really interesting. And it says, recall that the availability of substitutes determines the steepness of the demand curves of consumers or supply curves of producers. Cigarette demand is inelastic because nothing else is close is a close substitute for cigarettes. The supply of landing spots at an airport is inelastic because of the price of landing slots falls. Logan Airport cannot easily start producing something um, else with its runways and terminals. So he, back then they're seeing the, the, the cigarette consumer as being, that's all you are. You could never be anything. There's nothing alternative, which is kind of sad because they did already have smoke-free products. But, uh, <laughs> but now we have something that really actually is a substitute for cigarettes, you know, because to some people, if you're not doing this, it's not a substitute, you know, even though it's tobacco. And so 
I just thought it was really interesting that something like this, that inelasticity of the of the pricing, that these taxes are not going to do anything. What you need to do is if you're going to do this, you need to give them something else. And they are trying to do the same thing with the something else now with the vapor products. And um, it's also real quick. There's another there's a real great article from Reason talking about when back during the Obama administration when they raised the tax and how that uh, how that went basically <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it, it's my whole thing really is that it this tax thing is just such it, it's based on on sandy ground and it really has no evidence this is not an evidence-based tactic for getting people to quit and it harms people um not just in new zealand but also all across america when they are not quitting and taking the what little money they have left and having to put it towards more expensive cigarettes rather than to food and medicine and housing and um that's just and wrong then and to that's turn around tip. and take all that tax money and not put it towards programs exactly. and education and cessation and things like that that would actually have a greater effect on the smoking yep. population. Yep. You, you have something that you know people are struggling to quit with, people have an addiction to it, a dependence on. You're like, okay, well, we need to get these people to quit. We'll make it more expensive. Well, we already know they're low income. It's going to deprive them of their funds. But we should take those taxes and we should put it towards helping these people no, we're not going to do that either. We're going to do daycares in middle-class neighborhoods. We're going to, you know, do, I don't know what they're doing with it. And that's what one of the articles. I'd like more daycares in low-income neighborhoods, please. Right? <laughs> Thank you. But the Obama, the, the one about from, from Reason was talking about how, how they're not spent, they're not giving the money anywhere. You know, they're getting more and more money every year from tobacco taxes and none of it's going back to like helping people. And it's all going to these pet projects. And it's the, it just really makes me angry because the, this whole idea, oh, well, we're just going to, we know that they're going to, there's going to be a significant portion of these people who are going to just suck it up because we know that the inelastic price phenomena is a thing and that they'll just, and then, and they just know that because then that's why every year they raise taxes on something that they supposedly are trying to stop. But and then they also, no, isn't going to. They know that. It, it, that. And that right there is clear evidence that they know that, that, that this is not going to stop people from smoking. We know this is a guaranteed thing because it's price inelastic. So we know we're going to keep getting this money. So we're full of crap when we say that this is to help people quit. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I wanted to, to add you just to, to add on here. Um, first of all, I, I, I suspect that that's a, a great article to bring up. And, and the fact that it was from you know the late 90s, is also, I think, important. Um, and I suspect there was probably some work done uh, many years prior to that. Um, but the, that sentiment expressed in that article um, uh, about the inelasticity of, of cigarette prices and, and, con and consumer demand um, is uh, it's consistent with things that we've heard from the FDA just a few years ago when they were talking about lowering nicotine content in cigarettes. It's that you have to have something for people to go to. And they, the FDA, it, you know, in 2017, at least, didn't seem very confident about very low nicotine cigarettes without 
have without the availability of, of, of vapor products. They, I mean, by name, FDA said something like vapor products has to be available. So yeah, it's it's not uh, it's not a new thing, and 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 they are definitely, admittedly, they are aware of this phenomenon. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and as as, as Char um, uh, brought up in the chat, I used to pull uh, smoked cigarettes out of ashtrays. It was I had a, a very long and weird summer where I didn't have a lot of money and couldn't couldn't do a lot of work, um, and I I would fish half smoked cigarettes out of ashtrays on the street and break them up and roll them up. Uh, and when I could afford $6 to buy a, a can of kite uh, menthol tobacco that I would roll, I would go buy that. Um, but yeah, some days you just got to pull somebody else's cigarette butt out of the ashtray. And yeah, it's disgusting. It's absolutely yeah. disgusting. I just, yeah. I know this is completely anecdotal, but I was an inelastic human. That was me, right? Uh, I, I, when I started smoking at 14, at least in New York state, a pack of cigarettes, even after taxes was still under $5. They were like four and some change. No big deal. Right. I could, I could scrape together five bucks. I had a job. I was working at 14. I had one of the little green workers cards, went to work after school. I could afford cigarettes as they went up and I got older. I can remember cigarettes going to like that $8 point. And that was, that was when I was like, I need to consider probably quitting smoking. Like it's starting to get a little expensive now. That was the first time I tried gums as well and lozenges didn't work. And I just kept smoking. And then I was like dead set. I was like, once cigarettes hit 10 bucks a pack, I I'm quitting. Like there's no way I'm going to keep smoking at 10 bucks a pack. Right. Sure as hell cigarettes hit $10 a pack. And I slapped $10 down on that counter every single day. That was me. I was in elastic that I wasn't going to budge, even though I, I kept saying, I'm going to do it, you know, and I was trying every day, 10 bucks. There it is. You know, take it. It's almost like gas filters. prices. Was... It's almost like gas prices, you know, for people who well, smoke. People gotta and drive. Want that, yeah. yeah they're not going, they, they know, but they're not going to give it up. And it's... gas hits five bucks. I'm never leaving home. You right. Will. And you get both products at the same place. And so. you get both at the same place. Perfect. <laughs> but, but they yeah. just, they know it. And the hypocrisy in this is going to help poor people. This is going to help them quit, you know, and it's so clearly not. I mean, yeah, some people may quit because of it, but they may have quit already. You know, they've, they've got no data behind it. You know, when you see, and it, sure enough, when you look at all these states, because I thought, really, is it really helping? So I, one time I did go back and look at like all these different states that had the highest taxes and where were their smoking rates at? And sure enough, they have lower smoking tax, sm smoking rates where the higher taxes are. But they also had, you have to think, they didn't, like I said, they didn't just pass this tax in a vacuum. There was lots of debate. There was lots of discussion. There was lots of talking about how harmful smoking is. There was just the threat of it that could make people be like, well, some, some people, but most people are probably like us. And we're like, you know, yeah, I'm going to quit. And then it's like, oh, I still need my cigarettes, you know? So they can't just turn around and say it was just the tax that helped raise, that helped keep, I'm sorry, helped people quit smoking. And then they turn around, they know for a fact that the people who do keep smoking are hurt all the more from it because it, um, just disproportionately hits those people because somebody who makes, you know, 500,000 a year, they're not going to care if it goes up to three, four bucks. They're not going to even care if it goes up 10 bucks. They can afford to spend $20 for a pack of cigarettes. But 
then the, the people who don't have that kind of money are going to either turn to uh, an illicit market. They're going to start re-smoking cigarettes. They're going to, you know, start smoking other stuff. Who knows, you know, to, that might approximate it. You know, same thing with the, the low nicotine ones. What are they going to start adding to their cigarettes to make them hit the way they want them to? You know, just... Uh, we're from the government. We're here to help. Scariest words ever. <laughs> it's a money grab. It really is. Yeah. It's a money grab. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it arguably predatory. Um, and, you know, you can, you, you can, people say the same thing about tobacco companies, but the difference between the tobacco companies and the tax man is that you don't have to buy cigarettes, um, but you do have to pay your taxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the public has no empathy whatsoever. If you go and look at that article about New Zealand where they posted about it, they it was all they're just disgusting people. Why don't they just quit? Um, yeah. Just no no empathy. You know, just just they're horrible, poor people. I mean, where is all the uh, all the tolerance and all the, the the love for your human being? You know, if but you see a lot of the same stuff for people who use other drugs too and, and end up having problems and they'll, well, we have no sympathy for them whatsoever. So it's, it's sad and they just don't get it. They don't get that. You can't, they want it both ways too. It's, it's this horrible addiction for kids and this horrible thing. And they're just having all these trouble. You know, we don't want them to have that lifetime of nicotine addiction. It's a horrible thing. And then as soon as they turn into adults, well, they're choosing to smoke. It's their problem. Yeah. Hmm, funny how that works. <laughs> so that's the end of my rant. Alex? You're, that's the end of your yeah, take. My take. End of my take. <laughs> Logan, you're next, right? All right. I guess it's uh I guess it's time for my take. So uh this past week we had a uh we saw a viral video. Uh if you were on Twitter at all, uh there's uh, been a number of articles written about it, an incident happening in Ocean City, Maryland. I actually, I believe this was maybe a week, a little over a week ago now, uh, but we're definitely going to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to show a video uh, here in, ooh, here in just a second. Uh, and I just wanted to put out a warning. This video does show police violence against a young black man. And I just want everybody to be aware that that video is gonna be shown. Uh, and I'll give another little warning in case, you know, you want to divert your eyes and come back when it's done. Uh, but we're gonna show this um, because people need to understand and see firsthand what policies like this do. But we're gonna be talking a little bit about place bans and how feel good policies like place bans, they're not scientific. Uh, and they can and do lead to instances like what we've seen in Ocean City. These policies often hand more power over to law enforcement to harass, harm, incarcerate, or even kill people, disproportionately black and brown people. And in 21, are laws like this serving communities any good or are they simply doing harm? So we are going to pull up. Nope, not you, me. <laughs> nope, wrong screen. Here we go. This I'm new here, guys. I'm new here. All right. Here we go. We're gonna get this. I'm gonna get this. It's my first day. Lost a screw out of my chair. All right. So this is from NBC News. Viral video shows Maryland police officer use taser on teen to enforce vaping ban. 
we're going to go through it, but uh, this is the video. I'm going to go ahead and click play for everybody. Again, little forewarning, police violence in this video. Divert your vision if you do not want to see this. I would encourage people to not look away, though. Can everybody hear that? I'm going to pause it right there, right there with this grin. Yeah. <laughs> this grin <laughs> makes me sick. This is pure pleasure to this person right now. This is the result of feel good policies, unscientific feel good policies like place bans. Now, yes, a lot of people have said, you know, it, it was again, there's an ordinance uh, here in Ocean City on the boardwalk. And in these places, there is a no smoking, no vaping policy that's in place. Uh, people can be fined up to $500 and I believe uh, possible uh, jail time uh, as well. No, 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 no. possible jail time. Not, I thought not, I had read that. Not for vaping I, I, there's there's the is. $500 fine is. That's true. Yeah, okay. that's right. But yeah, so. Uh, this I, I article, just, NBC uh, News did a pretty good job of just kind of blanket covering this, uh, I feel like. But uh, on June 10th, this is from iCorey here on Instagram is where that video is posted. And you can check out uh, their take and, and post on this as well. The video does go forward showing this young man actually being hogtied and carried off and put in a uh, police vehicle. This is, uh, this is exactly... This is exactly what can happen when we give law enforcement powers over something so menial, something like outdoor vaping, outdoor smoking. There's no scientific evidence to support that smoking or vaping outdoors in the open air harms anyone around you. There, there's no evidence there. It's a, it's a feel good policy that everybody can get behind because we have vilified these products we have vilified the people that use these products and we all need to feel a little bit safer. But this is, this is the result of that. This is, uh, this is, this is just bad. Something completely menial turned into violating my child, treating him like he was an animal. That's what Jessica Barber, his mother said. Um, they do say there's been like, you know, discussion uh, online that he was, uh, you know, he was reaching for his backpack. He was told to. Uh, this young man was told he was giving conflicting uh, orders to get down on the ground and take off his backpack. You can see in the video just before uh, that officer hits him with the taser that he was reaching for his backpack. Some people say, well, he could have been reaching for anything. Maybe he has a weapon. Maybe he has this and that. None of that matter this young man has his arms up is told to remove his backpack is complying with law enforcement and they proceed to tase this young man arrest him hog tie him and put him in the back 
of a police cruiser. In 2021, we just spent 2020 and still today, right now, moving our way through a huge, important, dramatically important social and racial justice movement right now. Laws like this give law enforcement the power to harass, incarcerate, harm, and even kill people of color in this country right now. What, what good is this doing? What good do policies like this do for our communities, our friends, our families? None. That's my take. I don't, I don't, this all should make everyone just angry because this just makes me angry. These, these policies are put in place like Tom Lyford right now in chat saying to protect people, protect the kids, protect teenagers like this young man who does not look very protected in this video. And that was just the first one. Then the, what was it a week there, later there that you had those, well, those yeah. other kids who had problems too. And, and I people, don't have the video of that. Um, but a young, uh, a young man, another young man was need put on the ground and need in the ribs multiple times by a police officer uh, in that incident as well. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it's it's so. First of all, it's the it's the policy prohibiting vaping on the boardwalk that that uh, allowed officers to yes. have that initial interaction. Um, and as the story goes, um, uh, the the these these young adults were walking away. They were in in a sense complying, and one of them defiantly took a rip off their mod and blew out a big cloud, and that is what triggered these cops to go into, I guess, cop rage, uh, because if you are going to defy their authority, then they will come at you with tasers and billy clubs to make sure that you know um, that the state is in control and not you. Because um, teenagers are never, ever defiant. Yeah, I mean, who, who could have seen that coming, right? I mean, but even that, even that, is that enough to warrant what no. these officers did to this young man or no. to the other young men and, and the other young adults in, in the other incident that I believe they were a few days apart, uh, the two incidents? Uh, I don't Again, I don't have an article or a video for that to, to show or reference. Yeah, I believe they were on two separate occasions. But either way, is, is a, a, a moment of defiance enough to warrant this, especially when... This came right after literal complete compliance. Yeah, and the, the, some people are. To, if you're going to sit and talk about what he did up until that point, that he was threatening to kill them. I mean, that's that's what I've heard. They was threatening to kill him, and he was being belligerent, and he was refusing to show his ID. Um, and that's the 18 year old, the one that we saw the video on, because it's really hard. Because the two stories have been very. They've kind of been meshed together sometimes where people think that this was the kid who was need as well. And so some people have been getting it confused. So I, in a couple of my tweets, got it confused too. But regardless of what happened up until that point, he was complying at that point. So it doesn't matter if the cops are all pissed off because he was being a brat before then. It doesn't matter. He was complying at that point, and that's what they're supposed to be policing on. So he definitely did not deserve to get tased for in, in that moment. And then the, also the idea that I keep seeing people saying these were 19-year-old men. They were men. They were adults. 
you can't have it both ways, guys. These these yeah. these these people, these these kids were kids as far as vaping. Technically, they shouldn't have been vaping because it was it's against the law to sell them vapor products because they are too immature. Their brains aren't developed enough to make the mature decision and the rational decision to use tobacco or vapor products. But then they're still faced that but then they're supposed to act like mature rational um calm adults when they're faced with a group of cops that are coming at them you can't have it both ways you can't you can't treat them as a kids in, in one aspect and adults in the other and both of them come to come down to making rational calm educated decisions and you can't on one hand tell us they're too young to do that. And the other hand say, well, they should have acted like 35-year-old men in this situation, which a lot of times you'll see 35-year-old people not act all that great when they're faced this kind of stress either. So it's just ridiculous that I see people trying to, oh, he's a man, you know, he's 18, he's 19, he's a man, you know, but he can't drink or you can't, he's, you know, he's not a man when it comes to drinking or using tobacco products. You can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd bump up the enlistment age to 21 and then we'll talk. Right? Enlistment, yeah. marriage, uh, all the things that they can do when they're 18. Voting. I mean, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Actually, so, voting, isn't it California where they want to drop it to 16? Yeah, <laughs> we'll trust generally you uh, there's, there's to, a to, to vote, but uh, we're also not going to trust you enough to make decisions about what you choose to put in your body. And if you do make those decisions unlawfully, you may get tased and hogtied. So my take on this is, again, right now in 2021, today, our place bans, particularly outdoor place bans, serving our communities any good, or are they simply doing more harm. And I would say they are absolutely doing more harm than they are doing good. No. So and, that is my take uh, this week. Do you guys have anything else to add to that? Um, again, these links to all this stuff, you guys, if you wanted to go back, uh, view more of the videos, see all the stuff, we'll make sure that all the links and stuff that we've pulled up today will be available in description. So you can, you can go through them as well. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to add to that? Or are we ready to move yeah. forward? Alex, you got something? I, I do. I do have, have something quick to add. Um, well, maybe not that quick. But um, uh, as someone who grew up in Pennsylvania for a little bit and went to senior week in Ocean City, um, I, I will say uh, as, as long as I have known Ocean City, um, it has always been like this. Um, I think somebody had noted it's like a town of 7,000 people, but like, you know, tens of thousands of people come at any given moment to, to enjoy the beach and the boardwalk. And, um, and certainly from Southeast Pennsylvania, um, I, I would just say, and these, these, all of these, all of these, uh, folks, the, the, the young people that were, were in this video or from Harrisburg, um, I used to live in Lancaster. Um, I, I would just say for, for folks in, in Southeast Pennsylvania, maybe choose a different destination for your senior week. Um, cause Maryland does not want you. Um, they don't respect you and they're not interested in keeping you safe. Um, so I, there are better beaches along the East coast. I'm sure of it. Um, perhaps, well, New Jersey isn't any better cause they have, uh, I think prohibited smoking and, and vaping on the beach. Um, but, uh, you can certainly find a, a much better place to have your senior week than ocean city, Maryland. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to do it. And if you're still going to go know that there are other smoke and vapor free products that you could use that are very discreet yeah. that 
unless officers are stopping you to check your mouth, um, you should be all right. Uh, but before, actually, before I wrap this up, I'm going to get a little oh, bit fired up one more time because of a comment in chat, not because it's bad, because it reminded me of something. Me too. Following this incident, uh, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids had something to say. We are horrified and outraged by the incident of police violence against black teenagers in Ocean City, Maryland this weekend. There is absolutely no place for violence and abuse in enforcing tobacco laws. The purpose of such laws is to keep people safe and healthy. Our communities cannot be safe and healthy when police choose to enforce these laws with choose to enforce these laws with violence, often disproportionately against black and brown people. There must be a full investigation of this incident and accountability for those for the use of force against these young people. This is the policies that you wanted, that you lobbied for, that you sent lobbyists to the Hill for, or to, to Maryland for, to Ocean City for. These are, these are the policies you lobby for, that you campaign for, that you want, that you're pushing for. You don't, once you, once you put these policies in and they pass, you don't get to choose how they're enforced from there. These are the consequences of those actions, of those policies. And to think that, that we never knew this could ever happen and we're so horrified and outraged and shocked. You're not. You're not. Well, it's baloney. Every like, yeah. law, every law is enforced at the end of a gun, whether it's there or not. That's, you know, because there's that threat. People, Absolutely. you have to have that threat to keep people compliant. So the idea that this they never dreamed this could happen is just baloney to to oh yeah I mean it's just baloney because you you have to have the gun or the taser or people would just walk away. Do you think those kids would take those cops seriously if they didn't have the gun or the taser at all? No, they wouldn't. And that was the point that I was gonna make. Wait, wait, one more time. That yeah. was the, that was the final point that I was gonna make. Was I've been seeing people say. Well, they did this. It wasn't, he wasn't, they weren't tased because of the vaping. They were tased because they did this and they did that and they did this. And oh. They did that. But that's all, you know, it was what they did after the initial contact. And, and that may be true that it was those other things. Those were the things they were charged for was all stuff that happened after the initial contact. But it was the vaping law that caused the initial contact. You can't get around that. It all started, those kids would not have even been approached by the cops without that anti-vaping ordinance. So you can't say that it had nothing to do with the vaping. It had everything to do with the vaping because none of that conflict that followed would have happened if they hadn't ridiculously banned vaping outside. Oh my God, I'm spitting. <laughs> but okay, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, these are the yeah. results of those policies. So you don't get to campaign and lobby and push these policies. And then when law enforcement chooses to enforce them violently, then distance yourself from that and, and you know, throw your hands up and say, well, that's not our fault. We're outraged. You can't have it both ways. You don't get to, you don't get to choose that. You can't have it both ways. That's my take. Sorry. Thank right. you for whoever it was in chat that mentioned something about in a, a, a statement from from someone. That's that's you reminded me. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, because I just wanted to make sure that we got that in there. That's yeah. Uh, yeah that they're, they're just outraged. Alex, can you believe that? that? They're outraged. It yeah. should be correct response to the crime. And my point is, it shouldn't be a crime. <laughs> you know, there shouldn't be a crime like this that's putting them yeah. in the sights of the cops. 
It's so I I, uh, I I guess I just wanted to maybe clarify some things. You know, when people say that that this isn't about about vaping, I think what people well, what some people who say it's not about vaping, what they mean to say is that this is this is this is racism. This is the this is part of yeah. that. Oh, kind yeah. Of systemic that's not what they were saying racism. to me. Right. Yeah, I know that. But I, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands that we are clear on this. Yeah, that it is. This is a racially motivated abuse from the police. It was just that the vaping law gave them that opportunity. And yes. we will see we have this is not the first time. So no. it's not like campaign for tobacco free kids can actually be surprised by this, um, as you were saying, Logan, uh, and it won't be the last. So uh, no. it, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, that this won't resonate uh, as far and wide as it should. To be perfectly honest, I'm surprised that NBC News reported on this at all. Um, NBC, NBC, the network, I believe, uh, as a matter of policy, has a bias against all things tobacco, uh, as we saw with a, 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 the, the TV show, The Two Broke Girls, um, making fun of people vaping. Um, that's, that's something that's actually encouraged by NBC. Um, so anyway... Yeah, and no, I want to just clarify. I'm talking about people who were specifically trying to say, well, it had nothing to do with vaping. It was the fact that they were ignoring the cops. They didn't give ID, that they didn't do this, they didn't do that. And that's what I'm talking about. But yeah, we, we know because they even said in the in interviews afterwards that um, they saw plenty of people walking down that boardwalk vaping and smoking and some were actually smoking pot. So they had no, they, you know, they said they had no clue that you couldn't vape and they thought that they were just getting hassled basically and that's what these laws do they're just there to hassle people they really are yeah yeah and uh again uh i don't know if anybody you know was around last year uh for everything that happened but right now there is already an abundance an abundance of distrust in law enforcement right now in this country and a lot of tension between people of color and law enforcement in this country so if you expect every young black or brown man or woman to just willingly comply with every request no matter how uh you know uh, reasonable or unreasonable it is that that right there is unreasonable in my opinion like that distrust this this young man walking away in defiance i i i yeah i i i yeah yeah <sighs> all right I'm done. I can't go on any more soapboxes about it. You're huffing. Uh, I'm spinning. I don't know. <laughs> I hope I hope that that upsets everyone and, and helps drive some points home. So that's it for our uh, our take three this week. Um, and I think that means we are ready to move into our next and last segment this week. Are you guys ready? You guys ready for a deep dive? Hit it. So kind of carrying on with that theme, what is our deep dive this week, Alex? Place bands. Place bands. <laughs> I feel like I should have some sort of ding, ding, ding sound effect that goes Yeah, we do. We need, uh, hey, Danielle, we need, no. <laughs> and again, so, thanks to Danielle also, for Also, really graphics. quick. Yeah, thank you, Danielle, for all our two new bumpers. Awesome. So I figure probably a good place to start with talking about place bans is the history. Um, I am not going to go uh, totally in depth here, um, but I, I, I think it's it's good to note that 
play spans go back a little bit further than than I had thought. Um, I I have always sort of casually referred to uh, you know Bay, cities in the Bay Area in California as the genesis of uh, play spans. Um, but I was actually surprised to see that the state of Arizona was actually uh, out of the gate a little bit before uh, Bay Area cities um, in, uh, to restrict smoking in several public places. And in 1973, the Civil Aeronautics Board requires no smoking sections on all commercial airline flights, which is particularly interesting now as we are, well, all throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and, and even now, uh, you know, being able to encouraging people to get on flights again and noting just how good the air quality is in commercial flights um, because of the way that the air is filtered from the top down. I don't know if aviation technology at the time had those same uh, HVAC type systems in, in the airplanes, um, but certainly um, we, we do know that the air quality in aircraft is better because of the filtration systems and because of the way that the air is, is sort of moves through the, through the plane. Um, so uh, it was uh, the, in Connecticut passed the first law to uh, apply smoking restrictions in restaurants. So it wasn't until 1977 that Berkeley, California got on the, the board here um, and became the first community to limit smoking in restaurants and other public places. Um, and so throughout the, the, the 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, place bans for smoking continued to spread. Uh, and another uh, resource that I brought up here, we can get to this, we'll come back to this, um, but the CDC has a, a, a map here of uh, smoke-free indoor air laws, including e-cigarettes. So you can see where we're at across the country with vaping being added to this. Um, but I, I think it's really important to start with the history here and, and to let people know that the, you know, the anti-smoking laws, um, just like the anti-vaping laws, it didn't have to do really with anybody, you know, behaving badly. Uh, it has always been about, um, you know, striking back at, at smoking and pushing it further and further out of buildings and, and sold under this idea that we are protecting public health. Um, so, uh, there's just a really, really, really quick look at the history. And I would encourage everybody who wants to, you know, do their own deep dive on this to, um, consult this. I have the link and, and Kristen will drop this in the, uh, uh, description, um, for the video or, or Logan, whoever handles that between the two of you. Um, so one of the things that, uh, the, you know, proponents of these, laws will refer lawmakers to is what are the benefits of banning smoking outdoors and of course now now vaping um, and one of the, the the studies that has been used to promote smoking bans either indoor or out is a study that glance was uh, stan glance from uc uc san francisco was part of and this is the helena the Helena study or the Helena experience. I don't know, whatever you Perfect. want to call it. But whenever you hear any of us talking about Helena, Montana, this is what the we're- Helena working. Miracle. The Helena Miracle, there we go. Um, and, and it was a, a, a study done, I think it was like six months um, or no, it was, was it more? Um, so December, 1977 through November, 2003. Uh, and they were looking at admissions, hospital admissions, um, and people uh, who were admitted for acute myocardial infarction or a heart attack. Uh, and this study 
concluded that the uh, rate of admissions for heart attacks in, in Helena, Montana went down while the smoking ordinance was being enforced. Um, this is, of course, kind of nonsense. And uh, there was a, another bit, another article written sort of debunking or at least, um, do I have this right? Did I, get, did I just click the same link twice? I believe you I did. did. Oh, well, well, so much for my visual aid. Um, there was supposed to be a visual aid with this study, but we can just move forward. Um, so there was another article published uh, sort of calling into question the strength of this particular study. Um, and yes, as, as Jim McDonald notes, um, uh, Jacob Greer, a, a, a very good author and journalist, uh, and, and his particular attention on tobacco recently uh, would recommend his article about that. Uh, just Google Jacob Greer and Helena, Helena Montana uh, for some more, more depth in this. But this is sort of an example of one of the, the pieces of research that are used repeatedly to lobby in favor of smoking bans and vaping bans. Um, of course, no research has been done on vaping to look at, at heart attacks after a, a public use ban. Um, I, I don't want to say absolutely no research. I'm sure there's some out there. People got to get that grant money. Um, but uh, one of the things that's that's a bit disturbing uh, and, and should be uh, just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, disappointing for everybody, disappointing, but at this point kind of predictable. Um, this debunked study from that Stanton Glance was a part of uh, is featured as one of the references on our CDC website. Uh, this is not a strong study. It really doesn't support uh, any of this. Uh, and, and so it, this is just one example of kind of a, a weak study that's used to support this stuff, you know, while these folks are sort of calling into question uh, the types of research that, that we use um, and whatever. So, yeah, uh, here we go. Well, wasn't he saying that the that weren't some of the heart attacks <clears throat> that um, the numbers were not even in the period, but the ban was there? It was so quickly after the ban that there was just no way that it could have been <clears throat> linked to that. I mean, it was kind of classic, like his vaping studies where people had seizures or whatever it was before they even ever vaped, and that was counted as a seizure from vaping or heart no, attack. Uh, cardiac infarctions. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. He, he came back and did the. He did the heart attack study that was uh, that ended up getting retracted. Yeah, uh, they used all the tobacco stuff. Thanks to to Brad Radu for his leadership on that, and 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 thanks to all of our members who I think wrote into the editors. Um, of that journal and, and demanding that they be retracted. Um, uh, yeah, that was a, a really horrible piece of, of science where heart attacks that happened before people switched to vaping were recorded as and, and, and noted as being a cause, being caused by vaping. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, one of the articles I looked at uh, in, in preparation for some of the background on this, uh, it is uh, the article is uh, outdoor smoking fair or foul. Uh, and a couple of the quotes that I grabbed here are um, this is this is something that I've heard repeated. Uh, I, I was listening to NPR many, many years ago while I was driving back to the shop. And uh, and uh, there was a gentleman on there who was talking about the outdoor bands in New York and why they were implemented and what, you know, what kind of results there are. And the quote from this paper, which is almost identical to what I had heard on the radio, is 
outdoor bans have more to do with the denormalization of smoking than with the protection of bystanders from sidestream smoke. So science knows this. When you're outdoors and you smell someone smoking, you're not actually being harmed. Uh, you know, a lot of this is, is sort of, I, I think some of the work into you trying to establish that there is harm from smoking outdoors is mainly around, you know, congregations of people smoking, like in the smoking section or, or the, you know, the smokers outpost or the, the gazebo or picnic table or wherever you're, you're forced to go. Um, and even then, it is so diluted with, with what we call fresh air. Uh, and, and certainly, you're not trapped in a space. You can just move. Um, but uh, part of the, what I was reading earlier was sort of a questioning the wisdom of forcing people who smoke to congregate in a particular area where the smoke might become more concentrated. And I, whatever. these are people just, I think, it's, it's their job of science to ask these questions. But ultimately, I think kind of overthinking this a little bit. Um, if you're outdoors and someone is smoking near you or vaping near you, you're not really in any danger. Um, and there, there is no justification for an outdoor ban for those reasons. Um, another quote here was uh, the degree to which those folks are further reduced when smoking is banned outdoor, uh, meaning uh, I believe prevalence of smoking uh, would be difficult to prove, meaning there's no real way to prove that an outdoor smoking ban actually encourages people to quit. Um, Common sense dictates that a single person smoking on a beach poses a much poses a different risk than, if any at all, uh, than dozens of people smoking in a crowded outdoor cafe. Again, outdoors. Um, in an evidence review published in 2018, Public Health England said that to date, there have been no identified health risks of passive vaping to bystanders. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, know smoking outdoors is, is not creating any additional risk. It really is all about denormalization. Um, and, and this was something that came up in, in New York City when they banned vaping indoors and outdoors, uh, that they were mostly concerned. They weren't concerned about people being exposed to vapor. They were concerned about people acting as a walking billboard and, and, and again, invoking stranger danger and in, in, in inspiring kids by modeling the behavior, which... That's that's not how kids get inspired to smoke. Um, so anyway, you were going to say something, Logan? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, in general, the evidence uh, just surrounding passive smoking or passive smoking theory, as they call it, uh, is shaky, like at best. Um, and, uh, you know, not to promote lots of books, but if people would like a really excellent book, um, on that covers a lot of this Christopher Snowden's uh, velvet glove iron fist has an entire chapter covering covering the science used uh, in in regards to these that in the regards to passive smoking um, and, and covers it brilliantly. So I just wanted to recommend that to yeah. people really quick. That's an excellent read. The whole book is excellent. Uh, It'll change he your really life. gets into the <laughs> detail about the studies that surround passive smoking theory and, and just how, shaky at best that evidence is yeah that book if you're if you're an advocate that book will change your life because it, it it gives you and i and michael mcfadden too um he's more of a smoker's advocate um and i hate these were people for people who smoke uh but he just knowing how they think and how all of this history came and how it got to this point 
and how they're taking all of those same tactics and using them now for vaping. As an advocate, if you don't understand that, I've seen so many people who are fighting for vaping, but they're going after the wrong people. You know, they're, oh, big tobacco, we need to stop them. They're behind all this. And they just have no idea what, where it's all really coming from. You know, that they, they just, just, has big tobacco been a help to us? Not really, but they're not the ones who we have to worry about in the same sense for things like flavor bans and taxes and place bans and all that. I, I will say, well, so I, to, to, I was going to say something else, but I'll, I'll keep it on this topic um, uh, to, 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 to move along and, and get to, to your point here. Um, I think it's really important to note when we started seeing uh, uh, the indoor vaping bans start to happen. A lot of people don't know this. I think, Logan, you were, you were kind of unaware of, of when the first indoor vaping laws were passed. Um, and so uh, it's really important to remind folks that this all, as far as folding vaping into existing smoking bans, all of this started in 2009. Uh, there was a period of time where people were sort of throwing the volume vapors, the cloud chasers under the bus and say, oh, well, you know, some jerk went through Walmart blowing huge clouds. They're going to come hit us with an indoor vaping ban now. Mm -mm. All this stuff started long before those devices were even available on the market in 2009. And the first place to pass uh, an ordinance or a local law, including vaping in the smoking ban was Suffolk County, New York. Um, Imagine oh, yeah, that. I remember yeah. that. I remember that. <laughs> You've probably heard a little bit about Suffolk County, New York. Suffolk County, New York. The most aggressive anti-vaping, anti-harm reduction uh, county in the state of New York, as far as I'm, I mean, outside of the, the city. Um, but yeah, Suffolk County recently tried to raise the age to purchase uh, tobacco products to 25. Um, they were definitely, I think they were the first local government in New York to ban, no, were they? No, no they, they were second, I think, to the city in banning flavors. Um, but they've yeah. been a bit ahead of the curve. Um, apparently, there's nothing else to do in Suffolk County. Um, you just but, sit around and write bad legislation? Is that, yeah. Is, is that so, what it is? So what happened in 2009 was Suffolk County banned it, and then the, the policy jumped across the river into New Jersey, and Paramus, New Jersey, was, was next. Um, and I have a great quote from Karen Bloomfeld from NJ Gasp, which at the time was just Gasp. Or no, yeah, it was NJ Gasp, and now it's Gasp. Um, she needed to, I think, broaden her horizon so she can get more money. Um, but uh, the quote is Karen Bloomfeld, executive director of New Jersey Global Advisors of Smoke Free Policy, said diethylene glycol is an ingredient in e-cigarettes that raises a red flag. She says the ingredient is used in antifreeze and can trigger asthma. So in 2009, Karen Bloomfeld, I assume, got this. This happened uh, uh, the in August. No, October. So uh, that was August was Suffolk County and October to September or December was um, uh, the New Jersey in Paramus. Uh, and so Karen Bloomfeld took this from the FDA, whatever that awful study was where they took like a dozen cartridges and oh, one, yeah, of yeah. Them, one of the cartridges had a detectable, amount. A yeah, detectable level of diethylene glycol, which is probably the result of poor manufacturing standards in China. Um, not That's in all we had back then. Yeah, not <laughs> an ingredient. Right. 
There are not there are not barrels of diethylene glycol in an e-cigarette manufacturing operation. It's just not used. But Karen Bloomfeld sees no problem with lying to people. So is she the first one then to do the whole uh, antifreeze thing? I, I, I seriously doubt that she, she was early. I, I, I don't okay. think that she coined That's it. That's pretty early. It was, I mean, it was FDA that published that. Uh, oh, did they say, research. did they use the antifreeze thing? Yeah, it was, it was an FDA commissioned oh. report. Uh, I remember that. Remember correctly. That, and, and, and we used to have some stuff on our, I think we still have the stuff on our site about yeah, that. Yeah, we went um, a little ballistic on that report. I remember but, that. Yeah, so it was, it was that quote on air, air quotes research <laughs> that happened in 2009 that sort of gave everybody that license to start talking about, oh, e-liquid, it's antifreeze. Uh, right. you, you know, no. Uh, anyway. So is alcohol. Hello, you drink antifreeze every time you go to the bar. <laughs> and like the most ironic thing about uh, now, because now it's propylene glycol, uh, and we're still hearing the same arguments about antifreeze, is that propylene glycol is added to antifreeze to make it safer. It's actually completely separate. If you and look actually, at the propylene glycol you look in at the and of itself ones. can be used as antifreeze as well. Yeah, that's the one. I but that doesn't it make it like this wildly dangerous thing like we yeah. use it in food we eat it we drink it we just because something can be used as antifreeze doesn't make it like this this <laughs> boogeyman monster it, it's just it's just a ridiculous I mean, ridiculous glycerin. idea and it's a lot of chemophobia that's what that yeah. really yeah. comes down yeah. to is they just do that chemophobia. On when and my favorite thing to tell people is yeah you should try dihydrogen monoxide sometime now that you really got to look out for. But that's very deadly. It's deadly in it's copious deadly. amounts or sometimes in small amounts, I guess, depending on the application and the rate of delivery. But go ahead. We'll come back to you, Alex. Oh, this is funny. Yeah. Mallory just put this up here. I just have to put this real quick, Mallory. But I was just thinking the same thing, Mallory, because I'm going to be making ice cream and uh, using actually vegetable glycerin um, in it. People put vodka in it when they make homemade ice cream, vodka and glycerin to keep the from the freezing so it doesn't turn to hard rock and it's people eat it all the time that's interesting so mm -hmm. just to get us back on track here because <laughs> we we could have a whole separate deep dive about the ingredients we'll do a deep dive like, on antifreeze somewhere. yeah yeah <laughs> but i do have some things on what you've talked about so far so but i'll wait to get around to that point when we can all talk about it <laughs> oh well i i'm i'm uh if, if if this is the deep dive so if we're in that section and you've got things to add let's go for it Oh, okay. Well, there was earlier when you were talking about the airplanes and the air quality on the airplanes. I, I forget. I want to say it might have been uh, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist. I'm not sure. It could have been Mike McFadden's book. But um, they talk about that. And I'm not sure how true this is. But from what I understand, they said that they actually went and did air quality studies after the smoking ban. And it was worse because they used to... Uh, they used to circulate the air a lot more to get the smoke mm -hmm. out. And since they didn't have to get the smoke out, yeah. so all, yeah, that, all that dander, in, uh, all that body blood odor, blood all that all that stuff um, actually was – so the air quality actually got worse because they weren't recycling, yeah, recycling, circulating, whatever, the fresh air into the cabins as much. So that was, that was one thing I just kind of wanted to point out about that. And then um, are we going to be talking about the, the – I, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I can wait if we're going to get more in depth into it about uh, it being all about stigma, about stigmatizing, and and that's what the bands yeah. are about. We, yeah, I, have, we I have something we to show. On it. We, we I have touched, something to show. 
Yeah, we touched on it by talking about denormalization. So I, it, it, by all means, yeah, if you've got something okay. queued up. Okay, real quick, how do I, I need to bring up. This came up, I think I was looking at it today. Uh, it was a tweet. Oh, come on. Is it sharing? Ah, there we go. Um, and this, this was really interesting that this came up and it talked about... Um, I want to make sure I'm getting this right. This study talks about threatening e-cigarette users' identity as a novel strategy to persuade them to change their behavior and stop vaping. Um, you can find that on my Twitter if you want. I believe I shared it or I commented on it. And the interesting thing about that is that that's exactly what place bans do. I mean, they they were intended to show harm to other people. So now you're a bad person because you're not just harming yourself, you're harming all these people around you, okay? And that is what this is doing, that this actual study that's talking about with the exact same thing with e-cigarettes is trying to make you feel bad, trying to stigmatize you. And, and, that's, and that's what they wanna do. And that's why I have often said, that when people have said, well, I don't, I don't vape around where I can't smoke. I don't vape, so I don't mind about this. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that they will use that as an excuse for everything else. They're going to say, well, you're causing harm to people, so you can't vape where other people are. So you say, oh, okay, well, then I won't vape, you know, while greed of this ban. And now they've established it's causing harm to people. That's what they did with smoking. But these, this secondhand smoke ended up solidifying in the public's mind that the smoke was harming people. And now, okay, now we know that it harms people. So now that you've got vaping in there, now vaping is harming people because we've established that because it's banned, if that makes sense, is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And that's why we oppose these because, it, it, first of all, businesses should be able to choose, but it's not about they're being polite. It's about the message they're sending by banning it in public. That's the message you're sending. That right now people believe that if you're outside and they walk through your vapor, that they're going to drop dead from a heart attack. That's the message they're trying to send. That's why they want to ban it. Not because they think people are being rude, because they know it sends that message. And it also will do something like this and contribute to that shame factor and Get, they'll get their way. So that it's, a, it's one of those tactics, tiptoe tactics that we talked about with Brad. <laughs> as, as when you were starting to talk about this and sort of listing, you know, it's, it's all, all of the other people that you harm, the bystanders, your friends, your family, and so on. I, I immediately flashed to uh, the remake of the Just Say No to Drugs uh, commercial that, that was sort of rebooted, I think, in the, the 90s uh, with the young woman in her, in her kitchen. You know, she does, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Uh, and then the she the frying pan and she starts like smashing things in her kitchen. Like, this is oh, yeah. family. This is what yeah. it does your career. It's I do remember thing. that. So uh. if people, if, if there are people out there who are new to this and and you're, if you're new and you're, you're about to hear a lot of us working and a lot of other people working to 
make it clear to folks that that everything that we're seeing in anti-vaping stuff and, and generally anti-tobacco stuff is part and parcel with the drug war. Uh, this nicotine is a drug and it is being treated like any other drug, except for the fact that it's you know legal. Um, but the same tactics used to mislead and confuse people about other drugs, cannabis in particular, uh, but uh, we can talk about cocaine and crack cocaine and heroin and all of the drugs. All of those strategies are now being used or have been used um, for tobacco. And so uh, it, it's really important, I think, that we acknowledge those, those parallels. And, and, and of course, what you were talking about, at the, it, it just reminded me of all of that. Yeah, it's just a tactic to scare people. And that's, that's why we fought these. And we could, I, it had, I had a hard time getting a lot of members to understand that because their first instinct was, well, I want to be polite and I wouldn't vape there anyhow, so I'm not going to fight this. And it's coming back to bite us now because all it is is that little bit stack upon stack of putting doubt in the mind of the public. And it's just one more concession. And we pretty much just admitted to the world by the time when we accept that, that, yeah, yeah it's a danger to bystanders. And that's and that ends up hurting us. OK, so, that was all I thought of so far. <laughs> uh, and Logan, did you have anything to add or should I move along here? Uh, I, I, I guess and I'll try to make it really brief, but all too often, you know, these, these, these myths, this stigma um, has very, very real world consequences, life or death consequences, these misperceptions about drugs and harm and, and how these things work. And I don't want to go on a big soapbox, but one of those modern day myths and misperceptions right now that is causing severe harm is this idea uh, with fentanyl. We have a lot of fentanyl in the illicit drug supply right now. Overdose overdose rates are, I, I believe the last count was over 90,000 in this country in 2020. But there's a myth around fentanyl that just getting in on your skin, coming in contact with even small, small amounts of fentanyl can lead someone to an overdose. And this is completely untrue. There is no evidence of this anywhere, period. Um, there are reports of first responders and people coming into contact, brushing a little bit off their clothes and fainting because that's how opioid overdoses work. Uh, but they're breathing fine the entire time. Opioid overdoses cause respiratory suppression, if you didn't know. Uh, and what happens is you have first responders when you have somebody in an over in an opioid overdose situation, they're unresponsive. They're not breathing. You do not have a lot of time. Time is not on your side. And when you when you perpetuate myths like this, that time factor, now you have a first responder who believes this myth and is now not acting quickly to save this person's life for fear of their own. Instead of immediately getting to this person, administering naloxone and starting respiratory uh, breathing and, and CPR, they're hesitant. They're refraining. They're afraid. They're scared. And there's there's no evidence to back that up. So when we talk about these myths and the stigma having real world effects because of baseless propaganda, it is serious. And there are people dying right now because of that. And it's awful. And, I, you know, they made me think, Logan, that some of the old timers might remember. I consider myself an old timer from 2009. That in the early days, we used to hear from people, you know, with the 
you get some on your skin and you could die because you could get a, they, they thought it was that potent that it was pure nicotine. They call it pure liquid nicotine all the time to scare people. And, uh, yeah, it was the same thing. And I'd love to, I think we should put a note, a pin in that for a deep dive is the nicotine myths. You know, the things like the, the, the LD50, which is complete, you know, baloney and stuff. We should do that. But yeah, in the early days, they were saying the same thing that if you got a little bit of that on your skin, it could kill a child and stuff like that. And, and how many people hear that myth, choose not to switch to a safer alternative and yeah. continue smoking, go on to develop <laughs> diseases like COPD or cancer and ultimately die prematurely yeah so yeah when we say stigma kills it's not just a fun hashtag it's a very very real call to people yeah so i i i'll 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 do my best to move us along here and and bring us back to the uh the map um because the next thing that i think everybody is probably a little bit curious about is uh where where are we now in terms of all the places where smoking and vaping can be or is prohibited? Um, and so I bring up the map, uh, you know, according to their, um, their, uh, the legend down here, um, you've got uh, the, the light blue uh, states have the, um, uh, the, the, the comprehensive indoor clean air laws, meaning they prohibit both smoking and vaping. Um, so, of, of course, uh, several states in, in New England uh, and, of course, California, um, Oregon, and then uh, some of the square states in the middle um, and, and Minnesota, which has been particularly aggressive. Um, and so anybody else in these sort of pink states, um, that's where you can see vaping bans uh, as a threat. Um, so there's, there's still quite a lot of ground to cover here. Um, I would say, you know, I, I, a lot of the South, I'm not terribly concerned about, but things are changing. Um, and of course, you know, the more that Texas becomes like California, um, certainly you can see their policies migrating to your state. Um, and fortunately, uh, actually, this needs to be updated, I believe, uh, with Florida. Uh, Florida has included vaping in their indoor smoking law. Um, I don't know if it qualifies as comprehensive, as I'm sure that there are some uh, exemptions, but um yeah so anywhere you see pink um that that's that's a potential target um and i think i don't know what the date is on this oh, it was last reviewed on in 2021 so um cdc is lagging a little bit behind here um the other thing i i, I kind of wanted to touch back on um was you know this is how people lose trust in public health organizations uh it's I, I think, and you know, I don't really want to promote people being distrustful of, of agencies like the CDC. Um, the CDC, when it functions how it should, is very important. They're there to prevent the spread of diseases. They're there to come up and, and distribute vaccines and give us all guidance about how we can, you know, prevent dying from things that, that come up out of the blue um, or prevent, you know, dying from things like the flu. Um, we need agencies like that so that we can get honest and truthful information from them. But to take something just as, as, as simple as, as prohibiting smoking indoors or outdoors and convincing the public that all of us people who smoke or vape are, are just sort of carelessly harming the folks around us, when in reality, the truth is that those laws are enacted to scare us. Those laws are enacted to coerce us to quit 
doing that behavior. It's not about protecting it stigmatizes. people. Stigmatizes. It, it, it's coercive and it stigmatizes us. When people start to realize that, there is, I think, automatically an erosion of trust. And the most recent example of how our public health officials have abused their the, the public's trust goes all the way back to the masks. We had a Surgeon General of the United States who was openly mocking people for wearing masks, not because masks had no effect. I personally agree that masks will, will help to uh, uh, bring down the rate of transmission of not just the coronavirus, but other diseases. I would like during flu season to see people who might, be, might have influenza to wear masks when they're out in public, and maybe you could save a life. Uh, it, I, I, I don't get into the political conversation about masks, except for this one thing. Our government knew that we were not prepared for this. And instead of telling us the truth, instead of unleashing the Etsy army of sew at home people who were making masks, they lied. They lied to us. That was the best thing that they could come up with was we'll just tell people that masks don't work. We'll just tell people that smoking bans are for the protection of bystanders. It's the same thing. It's the same abuse of power. It's the same abuse of trust. And it's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the ass. And if it hasn't already, if that hasn't already been laid bare throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, I don't know what's going to make everybody snap up and realize that you've just got to tell the truth. That's it. Just tell the truth. Well, and and the COVID-19, I mean, just just pull out any article about smoking these days and it's attached and vaping and it's attached to COVID-19 and all the stuff that they said about how it was going to be killing smokers and it was going to be killing vapors and it was increasing your risk of getting it. It was increasing your risk of having it be worse once you got it. You know, at this point, who knows what's actually the truth? You know, it, 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 they and they, they move smoke people who smoke up in the list for getting the vaccines. Um was that a necessary thing to do? Could there have been people who were much more at risk who could have had it because maybe they, people who smoked were at less risk of actually getting it? We don't know because the the anti-nicotine team decided, to, oh, we're going to take this opportunity, which is ironic because they took that opportunity. Let's dump on some people who smoke and vape more. Uh, take this, you know, don't waste any, you know, a good pandemic to, <laughs> to, to further our agenda and, and, and ironically then turned around and then started, started um, chastising tobacco companies and vape companies for capitalizing on the pandemic. It's like, seriously, that's all you guys have done is capitalize on the pandemic. It, and and uh -huh. just, just, just to clarify there, it was, um, notes about tobacco companies use tobacco is a good plant to use for developing vaccines. Uh, British American too. tobacco, yeah. British American tobacco has been doing this. I think there were many people in public health organizations around the world who I, I think Bloomberg actually wanted to forbid people if a vaccine had been developed through work done by British American tobacco. Uh, there were people, I think, asking folks to sign maybe pledges or just sort of promise that you wouldn't accept that vaccine. I mean, are you are you out of your mind? And the other thing was just to clarify how uh, vapor companies capitalized on the pandemic. I see this more as a public service. Um, people retooling their manufacturing operation in order to produce hand sanitizer uh, to me is admirable. I think they should absolutely be lauded for their efforts. Uh, they didn't have to do that. I don't see this as a huge profit driver for them. I think these are people who saw an opportunity to do some good and they did it. 
That's it. And meanwhile, in, meanwhile, meanwhile, in New York, uh, the state of New York used prison labor to repack hand sanitizer. Yeah, we did do a whole uh, article on on companies who were doing that, making the hand sanitizer and what they were doing yeah. to give back to the community. So you can find that on our on the Kassab yeah. blog as well. But yeah, we, it, we, we've officially strayed way off the path. We have, we have all, but it's all about all, stigma. All it's relevant. all about stigma. It all kind of yeah. ties together it of is. the it's stigma and the lying, and that that these these place bans do that, and it's that fear. I mean, that kid walking down the boardwalk because he's breaking an ordinance. I mean, people probably literally feared the, his vapor as it came out over the thing. And that, and that, and, and because he's putting people at danger in danger, the cops could have felt even more justified. If we got to take this guy down, he's putting people in danger by vaping around on this boardwalk. You know, we don't know what could have been going on in their heads, but it, it's completely feasible, but they would think that because of all the lies that have been told about secondhand smoke and secondhand vapor over the years, you know, and they make, because otherwise, why would they ban it if it wasn't dangerous? I, I think I, I feel fairly confident to say that those cops took an, saw an opportunity to take advantage and brutalize a black man. Oh, um, yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that it's yeah, one more I, thing. I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. But I'm just saying that it's was, just one more the driving thing. force there. Yeah, and, yeah. and and the uh, the ordinance was simply the opportunity to justify right. it. Yeah. Right. You know? but, but I, I mean, think I, I think but you had know, it been the white person that they had done that to. That could yeah. have been a reason. Yeah, exactly. But I this think, is usually a reasoning. Do you see what I'm saying? It's there. Yeah, yeah. That seed is planted. To to your point, and I think it 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 is right in line with what uh, Logan was explaining about fentanyl and the stigma there. Um, yeah, it can motivate people to do some some things that are, are motivated out of fear, an un, unjustified fear, mm -hmm. um, and that is ultimately potentially very dangerous. And that's the direct result of stigma, fear, dishonesty, propaganda. And, and just like place bans are unscientifically, you know, instituted just to coerce people who smoke to quit, stop their habits, leave, you know, for the sake of everyone else, you know, it's, it's, it's really. Um, and I don't care what it's, they say, it's, really it's harm just, businesses. It's harm businesses that catered. I, I shared in the uh, chat, the Casa the Skype chat the other day, a link to a place in Kansas that actually it's a count is it a county or a suburb or something that actually still allows smoking in restaurants or bars if they want if the owner wants to do it and that's the way it always should have been it should we don't need a law for something like that it does not need to be a law if 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 a company is going to make more money by having non-smokers come in that's who they're going to cater to and they will in turn prohibit smoking on their premises. Yeah, it doesn't I, mean that every single company has to cater to that select group. And so you're going to get far more, because there's far more non-smokers, you're going to get far more places that are going to be non-smoking. But why can't one or two bars allow smoking if that's what they want to do? And a big part of that is that whole myth that that secondhand smoke is killing people and it wasn't. It's like when we talked about that one week about how the whole, you know, that that smoke eaters didn't work. And it's like it's like having a no peeing section in a pool. And all of that is just that, that whole no peeing thing is just like the the using the word antifreeze. You know, it's just a manipulation of words to initiate a response and have people go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. 
And it doesn't because that's not what smoke does. Smoke eaters work and separate sections work. And then now they're banning stuff. People, you know, there's a place in England that's you can't even be outside on a sidewalk or anything. I mean, the only yeah. place you can smoke is in your own yard or, as long, or in your house if you own it and it's not part of a multi-unit building. I mean, these bans are just going out of control. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that, I mean, this is from June 1st um, this year, uh, but they uh, the, the article is talking about Oxfordshire or Oxfordshire. I don't know. I'm not, I know that things, you drive on the wrong side of the road and an elevator is a lift. Um, so Oxfordshire, <laughs> or anybody from the UK, if you want to correct me on my horrible pronunciation of the English language. Um, but uh, Oxfordshire is looking at banning um, uh, smoking outdoors. And it says specifically smoking and become the first county in England to go smoke free by 2025. Um, so really no, no place is safe from this nonsense. But also, it's worth pointing out the big difference between a, a community in, in England versus a community in the United States. Uh, in England, your public health authorities actually promote vaping as a safer alternative to smoking. So uh, a smoking ban outdoors, albeit nonsense, um, is at least people in this county uh, will have somewhere to go. Uh, and, and that means it, 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 it you know, I, I, at the end of the I, I'm not, I don't want anybody to construe this as support for this uh, proposal. I don't support it. I don't believe that people need to be coerced into switching to products. Again, I'll just refer to my previous statement about telling the truth. Um, but uh, all of that to say, certainly nowhere in the world is safe from uh, uh, coercive uh, policies like this. And, and of course, England has uh, a lot of Oxfordshire, Oxfordshire. Okay, got it. Uh, I, I learned how to play. I, ne- I learned how to pronounce Leicester and and, and Lancaster, of course, per, uh, appropriately. <laughs> but thank you, Ian, for the uh, for the tip. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that was that was the one thing I, I wanted to share as far as uh, places actually banning smoking uh, outdoors. I know that there's a few communities in the United States. Was, so I was trying to look for something uh, about New Jersey. I want to say it was Clifton, New Jersey had an outdoor smoking ban. Uh, you couldn't smoke on the sidewalks and all of that. Um, and it was it was kind of ridiculous. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the fines uh, for these for infractions. Um, now, we, we talked about the, the incident in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, the fine is up to five hundred dollars. Uh, that is at the discretion of, I'm sure, the judge or whoever. Um, and, and these ordinances, these outdoor, any of these coercive things that, that, that we, we know can be used to target black and brown people, um, usually when uh, law enforcement are questioned about how this will be enforced or supporters of these bills uh, are questioned about how these laws will be enforced, they will say, and actually in, I think, uh, some of the comments under the ordinance when this particular ordinance was passed in Ocean City, they note that uh, the, the law enforcement doesn't really expect to have to issue fines. Um, you could issue a, sort of a, a, a citation that doesn't have any monetary penalty approached with it. But for the most part, they assumed that just approaching people, uh, they would be able to explain that this is against the law and people would just comply. Um, right. That is happening all over the place. Whenever they talk about place bans and stuff like this, that we now know this is not, you know, this, isn't, this is settled. We, we now know that these laws can be abused. 
Um, oftentimes they justify it by saying that, well, we probably won't get to issuing penalties. Um, and, and just from my personal experience, the town of Platts, the city of Plattsburgh, um, a few years ago, uh, were they were beefing up. They had a very uh, somebody who wanted to grab some headlines on the city council. Um, uh, they were beefing up their outdoor smoking law um, to include vaping. And the ordinance was originally drafted that anyone, and no matter what age, anyone who was caught in possession of vapor products, oh, yeah, I remember that products in a city. Yeah, thank you, Kristen, for for your your daily heads up that alert, got me down to city hall to show up <laughs> to testify against the ordinance. Um, so it was it was it was a purchase use and possession or as a possession and use ordinance. Regardless of age, if you were caught in possession of tobacco products or vapor products on city property, uh, and and there's more to this in terms of where you can get fined, it was a five hundred dollar fine. Um, and it, Plattsburgh is not a very wealthy community. Um, the, I think the median household income here is right around thirty thousand um, dollars. So five hundred bucks for a, a young person or anybody, honestly, living in, in Plattsburgh, that's a lot. Um, that, that could be an entire week of work. It could be two weeks worth, worth of work. That's groceries. That's that's healthcare. Uh, five hundred dollars just for possessing a tobacco product in a city park is outrageous. Uh, and so, fortunately, that was knocked down. I can't remember if they brought it down to two hundred fifty. But the excuse was, well, we're just conforming with the county rule. Um, so if you walk into the county courthouse or a county building downtown uh, possessing snooze um, or, or some other tobacco product, it's a $500 fine. Um, again, no one's ever checked my lip when I go to vote. but um, For having possession of a legal product. Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. County, on county property. It's a five. So a county park or whatever. That's the insane. Other thing, the other thing about the Plattsburgh ordinance is that uh, it would apply to the uh, sidewalk and street that is sort of connected to or touches whatever park boundaries. Uh, and so right downtown, there's a stretch of City Hall Place where uh, you, you just can't both sides of the street touch city parks. And so part of the, the argument was so you're basically saying there are hundreds of people every day driving in their cars who would be unknowingly violating this ordinance and still they still haven't updated the signage uh in the city parks the last time i checked uh it just it just prohibits smoking um which of course there's a problem when you redefine smoking to include vaping people don't know what the rules are because that is very anti-science um so yeah the the way that that, that uh these these fines are structured they're excessive and communicating the ordinance to people is not very clear. As you were mentioning earlier, Logan, I think that these these, these people uh, who were caught vaping on the boardwalk didn't even know, or there's that possibility that they didn't even know. Because yeah, depending on where you enter, yeah, depending yeah. on where you enter the boardwalk, you may not see a sign. And if you're not yeah. from there, you may not know. And of course, a lot of us know that vaping isn't harming bystanders. And so why would I think that vaping outdoors on the boardwalk is bad? Anyway, yeah. all of those things. And that if I do this, I may get tased yeah. <laughs> and hogtied and thrown in the back of a police vehicle. Yeah. Um, so I, I know we're, we're past the two hour mark, but I did want to kind of kind of wrap this up because we can't have this critical discussion about how bad these laws are if we don't suggest some alternatives. Um, and I, I don't actually know why this is here, but um, I do have this little question for our for, for the rest of the panel, um, which is 
Are mouse torture studies strong enough to base policy on? Policy for human beings or policies for mice? Either one. <laughs> oh, okay. No. <laughs> Ban mice. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> I don't have anything against mice. I think I, I feel like we we talk often about it's how you fix things. You ban them. Limitations and problems around rodent studies in general. Uh, unreliable, shaky evidence at best does not often translate to real world human use uh, and human physiology. So if the only evidence you have is a shaky mouse study, is that enough to base policy on that will directly impact people, their lives, their finances, uh, their livelihoods, their futures regarding whether or not they uh, possibly end up in jail or something like this. I, I would, I would very strongly say no. I would say no. That's that's not enough evidence to to support these policies. I agree. I, 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 okay. agree. <laughs> I was waiting for like a well, Logan. You know, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I, I'm I'm just not interested in debating this. I think the only thing I would say is you know when when we do or when we hear about rodent studies. Um, you know, it's, I, I think it serves as a, a proof of concept. I'm not a scientist or researcher. I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Maybe you should stop torturing um, you, mice. Yeah. If you haven't figured that out by now, I, I, I don't know if I can help you, but, um, but for sure, I, I, I think, uh, you know, one way to stop mouse torture studies with regard to cigarettes and other tobacco products is to stop funding them. Uh, and there's a project, uh, the white coast, white coat waste, um, several years ago, uh, I, I think we may have done something in, in collaboration with them, um, but I, I do know that they, they generally have a campaign um, against uh, these the sort of needless studies uh, that are required by regulators. Um, in fact, I, I, I believe there is a, a certain amount of, of, of animal torture involved with your, your PMTAs. Um, these are, are, this is research that is required by FDA. I'm sure someone can correct me if that's, if that's inaccurate. Um, but I, I do believe there is some level of mouse studies involved in, in tobacco products that is required. Um, and so rather than, than banning the practice, you could just stop funding it. How about that? Um, it's, it's unnecessary and it doesn't add anything to, um, uh, determining whether or not these products are appropriate for the protection of public health. Um, but certainly, I think in certain circumstances, uh, they are a good proof of concept, um, uh, but that they are not good enough to base policy on. Um, and for example, one of the most one of the positive uh, sort of mouse studies that uh, we've heard about um, is uh, uh, Rat Park uh, with regard to uh, drug policy. Uh, and and uh, if you haven't heard of Rat Park, I encourage everybody to Google it. I know that we've discussed it before, but it was a study that found um, mice who were allowed to, uh, they were given uh, access to uh, a particular substance. I can't remember if it was cocaine or, or something, but they were given access to this substance through their, their feeding bottles. Um, but they were also housed in uh, an environment where they could go and socialize with other mouse, with other mice. And they found that compared to the other group who were just isolated in a cage, you know, and, and, and with access to drugs, uh, the, the mice that were able to socialize actually chose to use the drug less. Uh, and so the, the important sort of note there is 
you know, maybe we should be looking at, 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 at people um, who are incarcerated. We should be looking at, at, at people who are going through substance use treatment and, and what do they have in terms of being able to socialize with one another, being able to communicate with their friends and family, uh, all of these wonderful things that, that they, they can, where they can find support and community versus, again, just like what we're seeing with, with smoking, pushing people further and further into the margins of society, isolating people, divide and conquer. That's not doing anything good for public health. And we do have a, a beneficial mouse study to give us that proof of concept to explore that more and maybe come up with much better policy when we observe similar behaviors in humans. Um, and just a note that flashed across the screen, the mouse studies are barely even good enough um, to be considered science. Thank you, Jim. Um, so in terms of alternatives, um, I, I, I came up with this article. Um, it's one of my favorite pictures we use in our blog. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm not a people. <laughs> this is true. Uh, Little mouse, you are not. So in, in proposing some alternatives, I found this from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents. I love how plain and straightforward the English people are. I'm, I'm enlarging the wrong screen here. Um, but, uh, you know, this is, again, a, another example where, you know, we're talking about a country uh, who seem to have uh, come to terms with being able to tell the truth about safer alternatives. And so organizations like, for example, uh, the London Fire Brigade can do things like talk honestly about battery safety and how to prevent fires. And they can note and report year after year that since more people are adopting vaping, they've had to respond to fewer house fires associated with, with smoking. Um, and so we, we need to have that conversation about indoor air quality and promoting alternatives to people rather than just saying you're a, a dangerous, reckless person and you're harming people around you and stigma, stigma, stigma. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can give people some viable alternatives like smoke-free alternatives uh, and, and, and just tell them the truth. Um, and so this, this particular article um, just has some really practical advice in it. It's not just about place bans or anything like that. I just bring it up because it's a really, uh, it, it's just an honest look at the issue and giving people practical, implementable advice um, that they can use to reduce their risk of having accidents and, of course, uh, protect or improve their health. Um, and I, I didn't want this to just be kind of like, uh, uh, you know, well, duh, we know the answer. It's promote smoke-free alternatives. So, I mean, do you guys have any other thoughts on, on what the alternatives are here to banning um, smoking, vaping, anything in places? Letting the business decide. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a start. proponent for letting the business decide. It's their business. It's it's their choice. It's their property. I mean, they can tell people to get off the property if they don't want to allow vaping or smoking. It's if they can tell people to not vape or smoke, they should be able to tell people they can vape or smoke. I mean, I Wisconsin has not passed a statewide law yet. The town I live in has not passed any kind of ordinance. We never have a problem. And I've mentioned this before. When I started, you know, if I'd go out, I don't get out as much as I used to. But when I, my husband and I would go into a bar or something out, you know, on date night and 
ask, can we use our vapor product? They'd be like, oh yeah, sure, those are fine. And start using it. We never had anybody start smoking because they mistook it for being a, a regular cigarette. That We heard it a lot back yeah. in 2009. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the they're going to mistake it. They're going to get confused and mistake and start smoking. Um, and we had converted. I don't. I mean, we had so many people uh, sit and ask us about, oh, what is that? And then after a year or two, we'd start going into some of these places and there'd be five or six people, bartender be vaping, you know, I mean, and there was not huge clouds or anything. It, it, even if there was, you didn't go home smelling bad you might kind of smell a little bit like a vape meat i'd have to admit that (laughs) (laughs) which is that weird melding of smells that i cannot even describe unless you've actually been to a vape meat (laughs) um but yeah there's it has not been a problem here more and more people have converted and there's they're not buying the whole thing about about it being dangerous, but I think a lot more people might, and we have a high smoking rate here. I mean, I see a lot of people smoking a lot, going to school functions, you can smell it in a lot of the parents. Um, and I just bite my tongue and be like, you know, don't be one of those people <laughs> where I'm like, oh, you should have you tried vaping? You know, it's none of my business. But, uh, and that's the same thing that I should say about the government. It's none of their business what, if it's a legal product what people are being what's being allowed with consenting adults in a business it's it's ridiculous there's absolutely no need for the actual law for either smoking or vaping because it you know unless unless there's no law i mean every single place can make its own rules there's zero reason for a law zero reason for a law yeah it's an excellent point like you said earlier you know given this day and age given that the, I would say the vast majority of the public, at least to some degree, understands the harms of smoking. To give businesses the right to choose, I would say most businesses would still opt to have a smoke-free environment because they're going to cater to the majority of the population, which doesn't smoke. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and if you do wish to be the business that caters to the population that smokes, you should have the right to do that with smokes or vapes, whatever it may be. It's your business. Uh, and I agree with you, Alex. Uh, I, I think education, honesty, uh, public campaigns around these products, risk communication, honest risk communication to the public uh, is just a much better alternative to uh, place bans, handing law enforcement more power to harass uh, and, and detain and harm, possibly kill people. I think, I think ultimately, uh, we can do better in terms of risk communication, honest communication, uh, with the public. I, I did want to note, um, since a couple of people have mentioned, uh, banning smoking in, in your home, um, this is, this is happening. Um, I, I think maybe one of the more ho- high profile instances of this was, um, the housing and urban development. Uh, the, this was several years ago. Um, the, the, the regulation was passed that um, basically uh, prohibited smoking in common areas in public housing buildings. Um, and it, however, left the decision about prohibiting vaping, I guess, up to uh, the, the sort of local administrators, the, the folks, you know, responsible for maintaining the buildings. Um, 
but certainly those those administrators in in certain communities and I think did opt in, but I think most of them kind of opted out uh, at least for the time being. Um, there's a big problem with that, of course, um, that this is public housing. We are talking about people uh, in the in the low income bracket, uh, and in a way. So the question, of course, is, well, how do you enforce something something like that? These are people uh, engaging in this act in inside their private residence. Um, it, it is, of course, a residence that they uh, it, it's not it's not yours. It's owned by the state. Um, or if you're a tenant in a building, you, you have a landlord. It, it's not your property. Um, so uh, they, of course, are free to set their own policies um, as, uh, you know, like you were saying about catering to a majority of people. Um, also, I, I have had to clean out vehicles um, traveled around in by rock stars uh, and, and all sorts of smells come back with those vans. Uh, and cigarette smoke and, and, and marijuana smoke are, are, are very difficult to get out. Uh, it's not impossible. But uh, the argument there, of course, is, is sort of a, um, a devaluing property argument. Uh, if you own that property, you don't want to have to spend a whole lot of money getting the smoke smell out for the next tenant or renter or whatever. Um, and so uh, th- there is a there is a reason, of course, for, for property managers to to prohibit vaping or smoking, not so much vaping, but smoking definitely uh, inside uh, uh, units that they operate. Um, but of course, when it comes to public housing, uh, the question about enforcement was, well, neighbors will just report the issues. So now you, you, you have uh, just made it more difficult for people to live, honestly. Um, it, you know, someone smoking in their apartment in, in, in public housing is is running the risk of being ratted out by their neighbors. Snitches get stitches. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, and they get a nice little Sorry. sticker that they have to wear if they're caught, right? Yeah, so, you know, the, the message there is, you know, inform on your neighbors for participating in the deviant behavior. Um, uh so yeah, there's, anyway. been, there's been a couple different places in California that they've mm-hmm. again made it a law, and and again, landlords are business owners, you know. So again, let the business decide. It's up to them who they want to cater with. But now these towns are passing it, and this is something that we tried to warn people of way in the early days. I think probably even before. Alex or Logan were on the board, we, we would have arguments with I just joined, over. so it was well before <laughs> I was on the so board. We'd, we'd have arguments with with other vapors about why we were fighting this. You know, they all, you know, Kasai, you need to just, you know, stick to these other things that are so much worse. You know, that you shouldn't be vaping where you can smoke and you can't smoke anyhow. And they didn't understand how this was all going to snowball. And they scoffed when we said this is eventually going to lead to banning wherever they ban smoking, which is now leading towards people's residences. And the only place now that's safe is if you own your own house. And I've actually seen people in their own yard have the cops called on them because the smoke was wafting over to the next lot. So if they roll it in and treat it just like smoking, exactly. Um, Like if you own your own home, there's but a, the thing a is, better chance that you are not in this low income bracket yeah. to be right. affected by this in general. Right. But they're doing the same thing. But these these cities are changing that. And, and maybe that might have a difference. I don't know. But see, the thing is, is higher income people tend not to to be. 
to smoke as much either. It, it's affecting condominiums, any multi-use and you own your own home in a condominium, you know, so it is affecting people who own their own home when this stuff is going and, they, and people say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, they, they're not going to be able to tell that I have, you know, that I vaped in my apartment. Well, they're talking about going through and doing surface testing. So unless you wash everything off in your apartment before you move out, you could get hit with a huge fine for vaping when you're not, you know, but from the, if this is like built into leases and all that kind of stuff, third hand smoke, third hand vapor. Um, yeah. I mean, oh, and I just wanted to point out, did you see what I said, what Jim said about they, they did it for the idea that it was going to protect the employees. Right. See that one? No, they didn't. They, they, they tried to make it seem like that's what they were trying to do. But again, it was just still all about, well, you smokers are hurting people, other people, and we need to protect these other people. And it was complete baloney. Uh, another another one here. Sorry, I'm catching up on the thing where it's, it also said that uh, uh, Mickey, I think this is, you know, when it comes to indoor smoking, there's at least some potential for harm. Um but the, that's what they use. There's some potential for harm from vaping, too. I mean, you least, can't say so, some potential. The only time that they have found actual scientific evidence linking secondhand smoke was people who lived for decades with heavy smokers, not people who happened to work in a bar. And again, it all comes to choice. I was a bartender. I was in the restaurant industry. I was a bartender for 12 years before I got into real estate. Um, that I knew when I went and applied to these bars that I was probably going to be around smoking. If I didn't want to, I would have gotten into retail. I mean, this whole idea that you don't have a choice is ridiculous. And Never as agree. someone who, who worked uh, in the kitchen of restaurants for oh, yeah, years, uh, to too. think that the biggest worry of exposure, things that I would be exposed to and breathing in, even in a kitchen with ventilation, would be someone smoking in the dining room. Good Lord. I mean, while They've we're standing over, over open flame, uh, flat top grills, fryers, all sorts of things going on, that what I'm breathing in, in this kitchen, is, is you know, pales in comparison to someone out it in the really dining does. room having a cigarette. I mean, it they're finding... and completely unscientific. They're finding more and more lung cancer um, people, uh, victims, are getting it because of heated oils. You know, they're finding that women in Asia, because they're over these walks and stuff like that, inhaling all those vapors from the the oil um, burning off, that that's, they don't smoke, but they're getting it from that oil. So to single out some smoke, which mostly was taken care of from smoke eaters, it was ridiculous. It's one of the biggest hoaxes that I have ever seen. And I think I learned most of it from that book from Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, and also from Mike McFadden's book. Uh, what is it? Um, Dissecting Anti-Smokers. I think that's right. I've got it somewhere. Brains, I think it's called. Yeah. yeah that, uh, God forbid I, that you should go outside drilling, grilling on yeah. charcoal, you know. Yeah. Cigarette smoke does not have magical properties that makes it worse than any, inhaling any other kind of smoke. If you're burning matter any kind of bi um, biomatter, whether it be vegetable oil or wood smoke or charcoal or cigarette plants. And yes, including hemp cigarettes, CBD cigarettes, marijuana cigarettes, you're inhaling burning matter. Don't delude yourself to thinking that's different. But this whole idea that it's somehow it's magically worse because it's tobacco is just, again, perpetuating that myth and trying to stigmatize 
people who use these nicotine products. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, <laughs> I think that, that no, we, uh, I, we I, are I, well I, approaching the two and a half hour mark. I think this was an excellent deep wild. dive, though on place bans and particularly with a big focus on the results of this kind of stigma and these myths that are perpetuated to people and how they affect them and how they affect their lives. Uh, and, and yeah, place bans are, are one of those things that really, like Alex talked about, are really just meant to coerce people to change their behavior, to stigmatize them all about hassling people. That's the whole reason they exist. Yeah. And, and it, that's why it's it absolutely, we're getting hassled on boardwalks. It absolutely does more harm than good. Yep. Which happens to be the exact opposite of harm reduction. <laughs> and I think that's where we're, we're going to start to wrap this up. Does anybody have any final thoughts uh, today? Alex, do you have any final thoughts for, for no, all of our I, viewers I, and I, listeners out there? I, I, was, I was very content to give Kristen the last word on that discussion. So thank you. <laughs> Kristen, any any final thoughts today? I guess the only thing I would add to all that is just don't understand that everything that's anti-smoking that you support is supporting anti-vaping. It'll don't support any of that stuff because it's it, it most of it's just complete bunk and it's going to turn around and be used against you later on. You're not helping yourself by jumping on the bandwagon and hating hating the tobacco, hating tobacco and hating smokers and hating smoke and hating all that. You're not helping your position by doing that. You're only giving them more ammunition to come at us for our smoke-free nicotine products. So open your mind, read some more stuff about the war on smoking and what's really going on behind the scenes so that you understand how this is all being turned around and used against you um, in little steps, step-by-step, tiptoe. Thanks, Brad. We'll do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I just can't say it because I, I just love the book, but definitely check out uh, Velvet Glove Iron Fist from Christopher Snowden. He has an excellent chapter in that book on place bans and also an excellent section in that book about passive smoking theory uh, mm -hmm. and kind of everything that we talked about today as well, uh, plus a whole lot more. Uh, just an excellent, excellent, excellent read. But that's what we're going to wrap this up today. Oh, Alex. One more thing, just to get it in under the wire, um, end the drug war. That's it. And the war on drug users. Please, today would be a great day to do it. Yesterday was even better. Tomorrow is okay, too. We'll accept <laughs> any of them. And the war on drug users, period. Uh, we are right now, June 2021, is 50 years of the war on drug users. That doesn't necessarily mean... 50 years ago, we prohibited and started uh, you know, uh, incarcerating and and prohibiting the use of these drugs, things like that. No, uh, in this country that started way, way before that, uh, as early as 1908 or 1909, prohibiting the smoking of opium uh, directly, uh, you know, to incarcerate Chinese immigrants, uh, workers who were here to work on our railroads. Uh, so it goes well beyond that. But yes, right now, this month is the 50th uh, anniversary. What a shitty anniversary of... Uh, you know, militarizing our police force and doubling down and cracking down on drug users. So, yes, end the war on drug users. It's a great time to do it. Uh, and there is uh, a bill in, in, in the works, uh, been introduced uh, to decriminalize uh, all drugs in this country. 
Uh, it's the first bill of its kind. I know that DPA worked very close uh, with representatives on this who introduced this bill. So thank you. Huge shout out to DPA for all that. Awesome. Um, and yeah. Is that the main one you're do that. about? Yeah, we should make sure that nicotine is included in all of that as well. Yeah, there's there's one in Maine, but uh, Logan was talking about the federal bill. There's, there's oh, the a federal bill. one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. I forgot. because I was just tweeting about the Maine one because the irony yeah. of the fact that they're decriminalizing... Uh, all drugs. All, all drugs, and it would only be a civil, like a ticket for a hundred bucks. Yet selling low, um, low risk uh, vapor products that have flavors and are helping save lives would garner up to five thousand dollar fine. Yeah, they're all that they're all going to look real bad once they figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for podcast listeners out there, uh, if uh, if you're just now you're, you're at the part of your legislative rundown uh, and you're all caught up for all of you folks out there. I just want to let you know that this full episode is now available on SoundCloud as well. Uh, so you can check out the full thing when you have time. If you would like to plug those earbuds in and listen to all of the good stuff we talked about today. It is available for you. And also all the links to all the fun stuff will be down in the descriptions as well. Uh, and for anybody out there catching the replay, thank you for hanging out for two and a half hours, catching a replay. And especially if you're here right now live with us, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you. Uh, and I think, uh, oh, join Kasa, right? We're right here. We're, we're here right now. While you're here, if you are not currently a member of Kasa, Head over to kasa.org, join. It's absolutely free. And while you're there, please share your testimony, share your story about quitting smoking, how, how it happened for you, what you used, what you did, and how you're feeling now. All that good stuff, share it with Kasa. The more testimonies we have, the better. I think that's it. I think that's the spiel. I think, I think we covered all the bases. So uh, thank you one last time to everybody out there. We will be here same time, same place, 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific, anywhere else around the world. you got to figure it out. I'm bad at time zones. I don't know anybody who's really, really good at time zones. So Google, maybe? I don't know. Anyways, we're out of here, everybody. Thank you, guys. Till next time. Bye.